The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done too. And the available Pro-Access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. An available Pro Power onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on it on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior. And I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats. And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes. The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. On November 16th, 1971, 10-year-old Carmen Cologne disappeared from Churchville, New York, a little village just 50 miles west of downtown Rochester, essentially part of the suburbs. She was last seen climbing into a car of an unknown suspect sometime between 425, 5 p.m. outside of Jack's Drugs, a little pharmacy after dropping off a prescription request for her stepsister, 5.30 p.m., a girl matching Carmen's description, seen naked from the waist down, witnessed attempting to run away from a car on the side of Interstate 490 West near the Churchville exit. She's waving her arms frantically, screaming for help as cars barrel past during rush hour. A car is rapidly backing up to her, and then whoever was driving that car catches up to her and takes her away. Several motorists see all of this go down, and yet no one comes to her rescue. No one stops. And days before cell phones, no one calls the police. No one calls the police when they make it back home after seeing all of this happen. No one, not one single person makes a single call about the girl they'd seen running half naked and afraid away from some stranger's car until three days later after her photograph appears in the area's two newspapers, the Democrat and Chronicle and the Times Union, uh, when the two papers announced that Carmen's body had just been discovered after her brutal rape and murder. Even then, only a few individuals out of the hundreds of cars estimated to have seen this go down off of I-490, come forward to describe what they've seen. One said that while he thought it was odd that a young girl would be running half naked towards traffic on a busy highway, he was in the passing lane of heavy traffic when he saw her and thought for sure that someone behind him would stop to see if something was wrong. Another insisted he thought the car he saw backing up towards his child was just allowing her to go out and use the bathroom. Uh-huh, sure, because that's how that's how kids use the bathroom, they just take all their clothes off. Some people thought it was perhaps just a family squabble. That it was none of their business. You know, again, yeah, right. Just a, just a normal argument involving a half 
naked child. Others said they were unsure of what they'd seen, either because it was too much of a blur and the drizzle as they sped past with their minds on other things, or because it was already pretty dark and the crescent moon yielded precious little light on an already surreal scene. So those individuals put the disturbed image out of their minds and just continued on with their lives. How morally convenient. Carmen would be the first victim in what would become known as the alphabet murders, a.k.a. the double initial murders, CCC. In this case, Carmen, Cologne, Churchville. Two more murders of both initials matching the first letter of the town they were taken from would follow. And then a terrible suspect list would emerge, a list that would end up including not one, but two convicted serial killers with ties to the area, a different known area serial rapist, a family member, and more. Also, an additional set of double initial murders would occur in California, including another victim also named Carmen Cologne. How strange is that? This second Carmen Cologne's 22-year-old body would be found August 13th, 1978, near little Port Costa, California, just south of Vallejo, uh, north of Oakland. And the man charged for this Carmen's murder and four others also had strong ties to Rochester. He was born there, grew up there, regularly traveled back to the area at the time of the murders. Coincidence? Did the same man commit at least seven different double initial murders? Or did one man commit the first killings and then inspire a copycat killer to commit the rest? Or did multiple men commit the three upstate New York murders? Is America loaded with child rapists and or child killing dirtbags? A lot of disturbing questions to look into today. All of this and more explored on today's dark and disturbing true crime edition of Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. Happy Monday, Time Suckers. Hail Nimrod. Hail Lucifina. Praise Bojangles. Praise Triple M. Uh, can you believe 2018 is almost over? Just a few weeks left. Uh, what a year. What a, what a crazy year. What a, one of the craziest and best years of my life. I uh, hope it's been good to you. If it's been horrible, then you know what? Fuck 2018. Uh, you'll be happy to know that 2018 will be dead in just a few weeks. And 2019 will be born. And we can begin anew. I'm Dan Cummins, sweet meat master, suck, suck master, undisputed champion, of Chikatilo's Royal Rumble. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Elite Master Hoover of the glorious kingdom of Suckdom. And you are humble servant to Nimrod. And you are listening to Time Suck. Uh, you remember the cult of Curious. Welcome. Recorded as usual in the Coeur d'Alene, Idaho Suck Dungeon with Reverend Dr. Joe motherfucking Paisley. Sitting in a fancy computer, putting all those radio skills, music skills to work. Did you know that Joe is also lead vocalist, songwriter for metal band Moretta? Have you checked out Moretta? You can listen to him on Spotify, Apple Music, Pandora, other places that involve technology and music, joining forces in an unholy union of screaming and metal. You listen to him shred. I recommend it. Uh, I saw him in Spokane a few weeks ago, and they're, they're a great band. Seriously. I'm just saying that because he's actually listening right now to all this happened. He didn't know this was going to happen. Uh, Joe says that uh, I, I, he does all the work, and the rest of the guys uh, don't have talent and are just along for the ride. I do think that's weird because uh, when I watched them live, I thought it was like a team effort. He said that's not true. Uh, he said they're just, uh, you know, disposed. I think I think he used the phrase disposable puppets, and he's pulling the strings. I'm kidding. Uh, his bandmates actually listen to the show as well, and uh, they're good, man. They're really good. Moretta's great. Uh, you ready for some true crime today, though, dirt, uh, suckers? I almost called you guys dirtbags because I'm going to be talking about dirtbags. You're not the dirtbags. We're going to be talking about an alarming amount of dirtbags, though. 
Maybe some of you are dirtbags. I can't control who listens. Uh, we're going to suck on all of them. After a few announcements and some sponsors, today's Time Suck, brought to you once again by the Jim Jeffrey Show podcast. Uh, Jim, if you don't know, one of the best comics working today. Edgy, smart, a combo I thoroughly enjoy. And the Jim Jeffrey Show on Comedy Central covers the most controversial issues of today through Jim's distinctive brand of comedy and global point of view. And uh, the Jim Jeffrey Show podcast is a, is a slightly more podcasty version of this already great show. Uh, so you can listen each week as Jim Jeffries, co-host for a Shah, sit down with friends and guests, discuss news, politics, uh, all the things Jim couldn't, wouldn't, and shouldn't say on TV. Subscribe now to the Jim Jeffries Show podcast. Listen to new episodes every Wednesday on your favorite podcast app. Uh, Time Suck, also brought to you today by NHTSA, N-H-T-S-A, the National Highway Traffic Safety Commission. Everyone knows about the risks of, uh, you know, driving drunk. I certainly do. I have a DUI. Uh, you may have heard my story about it on my uh, Hear This album several years back. I've joked about what I went through, excuse me, uh, after I was arrested. But drunk driving, certainly not funny. Uh, you could get in a crash like I did, uh, or people could get hurt or killed because of your terrible choices, which I could have easily done. Uh, you could get arrested. You could incur huge legal expenses, uh, possibly even lose your job. Drunk driving is why I haven't done shows in Canada for years. Very hard for me to get up to Canada. Uh, still cannot go to Canada for a vacation because of my record. And, uh, you know, and uh, deserved. Uh, we all know the consequences of uh, driving drunk, but one thing's for sure. You're wrong if you think it's no big deal. Drive sober or get pulled over, time suckers. Laugh at my mistake, but don't make my mistake yourself. Uh, thanks for continued reviews, everybody. Always appreciated. Rating and reviewing Time Suck wherever you listen is the easiest way uh, to support and spread the suck. It only takes a few moments, and it means a lot to us here. Uh, we're working hard to try and make this show better. We appreciate any support you can give. And so many of you are so supportive. Very thankful. Thankful uh, to all the new listeners popping over from the Rizzuto show in St. Louis. Thank you, Rizzuto and crew for showing so much love to Time Suck. Thank you, Rizzuto, for actually listening to the show, being a Time Sucker. That was unexpected and much appreciated. Uh, you guys are very, very good at what you do. Uh, lots of new tour dates up at dancummins.tv now. Uh, also, uh, Texas Suckers. We are at we we have now added two Texas shows. That was the most uh, anger over where we weren't able to get uh, going back to Houston and Dallas, and uh, and then the last city we're trying to lock up is Chicago. And then I think that's it because otherwise I will go insane from being gone too much. I got already got to bring the kids out uh, to some of these dates because it's too much travel. Uh, but going to a lot of fun places. Starting off with Providence, Bridgeport, Albany, New Brunswick. Madison, Philadelphia, Salt Lake City, Birmingham, Atlanta, Nashville, Huntsville, Naples, Miami, Cleveland, on and on and on. A lot of dates up. Uh, called the Happy Murder Tour and Facebook and Instagram. Not happy about the title or the images that I've been putting on social media. You can check it out. Uh, Dan Cummins Comedy. Uh, I can't boost them. They will not let me spread them to other people because apparently I violate some kind of uh, code of conduct at Facebook and Instagram, which is fucking ridiculous. You can promote any violent movie you want to, but I have a picture of me in blood. And I'm just telling jokes about theoretical violence, and suddenly I'm the asshole who can't promote himself. Uh, even though, you know, you could do a movie where a thousand people fucking die violently, and you could put your trailer on Facebook, and they're like, ha ha, yay! Let's spread this! Ah! So I'll be, uh, I'm sure I'll be making fun of them pretty much all of 2019 for the ridiculous policies. So check it out. Check it out. Hope you, hope you uh, can come out to some shows. Sometimes I'm doing some shows in small venues, and it's not, uh, not a lot of tickets in a few of the cities. So based on last year, they will sell in advance. And if, if you don't get them in advance, you won't you won't go. Um, yeah. So thanks for gobbling up. Also, a lot of the fun merch in the store. 
Uh, we got we got a lot diverse range of products now. Um, and also, oh, Daniel from St. Louis, you left your challenge coin at the show at Helium. Uh, the one that you brought and I signed, uh, I gave it to a staff member named Sharonda. So Sharonda at the uh, Helium Comedy Club in St. Louis knows about your coin. Contact the club, get it back. And, uh, and I think that's all. I think that's all the stuff before I can get into the meat of today's show. So thanks for that, uh, allowing me to do some housekeeping. Now it's time to get into the alphabet murders. Hail Nimrod. A lot of different ground to cover today. This is uh, this is not just a straightforward narrative, Time Suckers. We're going to take a peek into the lives of two different convicted serial killers. Uh, a waste of oxygen known as Joseph Nasso. That's one of them. Joseph convicted in Marin County August 13th, 2013 for four double initial killings that took place in California between 1977 and 1994. 84-year-old inmate, AR9737, Joseph Nasso. Sits on uh, death row in San Quentin today. The man who for for decades kept a disturbing rape diary or rape journal, prosecutors called it, uh, for what seems to be many, many heinous crimes he was never tried for, never never convicted of. He will likely die of natural causes, excuse me, uh, die of natural causes uh, uh, since California has not executed a prisoner in the last 13 years due to a federal moratorium in place since 2006. On the death penalty that rules that the uh, the death penalty in California is, is cruel and unusual based on the lethal injection method. I strongly disagree. Uh, when you hear later in this podcast about what Joseph did, uh, what got him on death row, I think lethal injection seems far too humane. Oh, oh you might feel some pain in the last few minutes. Fuck that guy. Uh, tying him to a chair, letting him be eaten alive by rats. Uh, a la uh, Suck Subject 51, the Iceman Richard Polish Savage Kuklinski's uh, method, where he killed one of his victims that way in a cave, tied him to a chair, let rats eat him. I think that might be too good for Joseph. And Joseph isn't the only serial killer uh, we're talking about today. Uh, another suspect in some of the alphabet murders is Kenneth Bianchi, one of the Hillside Stranglers, convicted of kidnapping, raping, torturing, murdering 10 women and girls between the ages of 12 and 28 with his cousin, Angelo Bueno, Obono, uh, around Los Angeles, 1977 and 78, and dumping their bodies on the hillsides northeast of Los Angeles. And then he was convicted of killing two additional women uh, by himself in Washington State, January 11th, 1979, before being apprehended the next day, January 12th, currently serving a term of life in prison at Washington State Penitentiary in Walla Walla, Washington, only a few hours from the Suck Dungeon. Uh, He'll be eligible for parole in 2025 at the age of 73. I don't like it. Uh, he may have also killed three young girls around Rochester, New York, where he, like Joseph, uh, was born and raised. And there are a few other disturbing suspects, and we're going to uh, look at them soon. Uh, going to have to uh, do today's timeline a little bit differently today. Going to have to break it up into two. We'll chronologically look at the lives of each of the three Rochester area alphabet murders, then look at the lives of uh, various suspects, then go into Joseph's life, a bit of Kenneth's life, uh, the Hillside Stranglers, you know, uh, is, is, is a suck unto itself. Um, so, so let's get started. With, uh, with today's first of two Time Suck timelines. And also a special thanks to uh, Sherry Farnsworth, author of The Alphabet Killer, The True Story of the Double Initial Murders. Hard to find a lot of information about this on the web. Uh, most of what I found that was really good info came from this one book. All right, let's get into it. Strap on those boots, soldier. We're marching down a Time Suck timeline. Carmen Cologne was born in Rochester, New York in 1961 to uh, Justiano 
and Gionina. Uh, Gionina. And then spent the first half of her life in her parents' native Puerto Rico. Uh, with a family returned to Rochester, Carmen struggled to learn English and was placed in special education classes at John Williams School Number no. 5, like countless other students who spoke Spanish as a first language because the schools at the time lacked the resources to accommodate these students. Despite this hurdle, Carmen had an upbeat personality. Uh, the principal of her school, Dr. Alice Young, later told the press that Carmen was a sweet little angel. Uh, when Carmen and her family returned from Puerto Rico in the mid-1960s, Carmen's father, uh, Justiniano, abandoned the family, and then Justiniano's brother, Miguel, moved in with Guillonina and became her common-law husband and Carmen's default stepdad. The old uncle-stepdad situation, always a red flag, always a sign that there's a, a fair amount of dysfunction in your family tree. Uncle-stepdad is going to show up later when we talk about suspects. Of course he is. Uncle-stepdad doesn't seem like a good dude. I, I, and I'm guessing... I don't have any stats. I'm guessing uncle stepdads are, are probably bad people more often than non-uncle stepdads, uh, at least in the modern era. Way back when, you know, you married your dead brother's wife because she needed help with a homestead. And there was no other men in the area for her to, for her to bed. No other women for you to choose. Uh, Carmen had five brothers and sisters, and the six kids floated back and forth between Guianina's home and her paternal grandparents' home, which was just uh, a 10-minute walk or three-minute drive away. By the fall of 1971, 10-year-old Carmen living with her grandparents, where she had her own bedroom, a little more space. And then on November 16, 1971, sometime around 4 p.m., Carmen's mother, uh, Guillonina, strode into her father-in-law's home to see her daughter, Carmen. She needed Carmen to go get some medicine for her nine-month-old baby stepsister. Not sure why she didn't co- uh, couldn't go get it herself. I mean, she just walked from her parents' house, you know, or I'm sorry, from her, from her house, Guillonina, to her parents' house. Why couldn't she walk? a little further to the pharmacy, uh, especially when they lived in a sketchy-ass neighborhood. I know I, I I don't really have any of the specific details of what was going on in the family that day, so maybe there was very good reasons, but it just seems like, huh? Okay, that's that's maybe not what I would do, but okay. Uh, they lived in a they lived, lived in a shitty neighborhood full of drug addicts, various vagrants and criminals wandering the streets, so Carmen's Roman Catholic grandparents would not normally let Carmen run errands alone, but on this terrible day, Carmen's grandfather, Felix, uh, he intended to accompany her, but then unbeknownst to him, Carmen begged her mom and her mom agreed to let her go by herself. And, uh, uh, you know, Guillonina gave in. And then when Felix realized that Guillonina had gave in, she was already gone. Uh, and that's that's unfortunate tremendously here because Carmen bounced out the door around 425 p.m. into the cold November air. Within a few minutes, she'd, re- she'd reached Jack's Drugs. Uh, you know, that little pharmacy uh, about two blocks away, little strip mall. She walked up to the counter, handed the pharmacist Jack Corbin. Uh, the family knew an empty bottle along with her mother's Medicaid card. And Corbin told her, take about half an hour to get everything ready. So Carmen said she would uh, be back then, stepped out. And then a witness later reported seeing a child who looked like Carmen climbing into a car at dinner, dinner time that day near Jack's drugs. But uh, but observed no struggle whatsoever. Couldn't recall the maker model of the car. By 5 p.m., uh, Carmen hadn't returned to either grandparent's home. So, uh, um, oh, sorry, excuse me, to either her grandparent's home or her mother's home. So now the family's worried, and her stepdad, uh, uncle stepdad, goes out to find her. A few minutes later, she'd be seen half-naked, frantically waving her arms, screaming for help by the freeway, like I mentioned earlier, just uh, desperately hoping somebody would save her. And this is uh, important to note that this, uh, you know, this, people witnessing this, they witness it after uncle stepdad goes out to get her. Because this will come up later with the suspect list, that uh, maybe she initially was okay, and then maybe Uncle Stepdad got a hold of her and then and then wasn't okay. By uh, by 7 p.m., uh, the, the Cologne family 
had called the Rochester Police Department. Various friends and relatives were combing the streets in search of Carmen. The police did a methodical door-to-door search of the entire Bull's Head neighborhood where the families lived. 40 officers strong looking for little Carmen. A handful of witnesses admitted to seeing Carmen that uh, night, and they gave varying descriptions of the vehicle backing up towards her. Uh, one saying it looked just like the uh, brand-new car. 37-year-old Miguel Colon, Uncle Stepdad, just purchased. Yeah, okay, dirtbag alert. Uh, Miguel was immediately made the prime suspect in the case. Tips continue uh, to filter into this day, some even from Cologne family members who, who do insist that they think that uh, Uncle Stepdad was the one who did it. On November 18th, two days after Carmen's disappearance, 15-year-old Mark Allen, 13-year-old James Gillen riding their bikes in Riga just outside the city of Churchville. And this is this is all out in the, outside the city of Rochester. Uh, they spot uh, what they thought initially was a plastic broken doll crumpled against a boulder laying on a, in a ditch on the side of Stearns Road, a quiet, seldom-traveled little side street. Closer inspection reveals the body of an actual child wearing nothing but a sweater, blue socks, and white sneakers. Just like the girl that had been seen on I-490 West, it was 4.30 p.m., exactly 48 hours since Carmen had left Jack's drugs. Uh, the media ran headlines for weeks about no one doing a damn thing to help little Carmen Cologne. Uh, headlines saying stuff like no one stopped. Uh, apathy abounds as motorists ignore girl. Nobody stopped to save Carmen. Girl is slain after motorists ignore her pleading for help. Hundreds saw Carmen. No motorists stopped. Just a few of the headlines. And social psychologist to kind of explain this phenomenon, social psychologist Victor Harris, uh, working at the University of Buffalo in New York at the time, offered a theory as to why no one stopped based on research he was doing. He said this was uh, what happened was a classic case of what's known as the bystander effect, a social psychological occurrence also known as crowd apathy or the diffusion of responsibility, uh, also as Genovese syndrome. Uh, this phenomenon occurs when individuals witness an emergency but are reluctant to help if other people are present. Uh, the more witnesses there are to a crisis, the less likely any one individual will be to step in and offer assistance because everyone is falsely assuming that somebody else will take care of it or that there is no emergency if others around could handle it if needed. Uh, you know, people just th- uh, think of, if help is warranted, you know, somebody else is going gonna to get to it. We can just truly be just a bunch of dumb herd animals sometimes. And, and full disclosure, I am guilty of this on a smaller level, you know, you know, kind of. Uh, for sure. I mean, I've driven past people sitting in their car on the side of the road with their hazards on, uh, but only when they're sitting in their car. You know, I, I mean, I guess I do just assume that if something serious is going like somebody else will help them. And also, I just see that they're not actively expressing other than hazards, which just can mean like, hey, don't don't run into me. I just assume that like if they're not waving their arms frantically, it, it, it must not be that serious. Um yeah, so I, I've, I've, def, I've definitely, uh, though, never never just ridden on by when, when someone is, you know, out there, you know, screaming and shouting, asking asking for help. Uh, okay, so so don't be a heartless prick, you know, stop, stop if people need help. Um, but maybe, but maybe, you know, also uh, if someone's waving you down and they're, and they're seem like an obvious uh, uh, carjacker, maybe, maybe don't stop there because that can be another angle of it. Sometimes people uh, out of self-preservation don't want to stop and help because they're worried about what might happen to them. And in some cases, I, I I do understand the rationale there for sure. Um, but let's talk about this effect more. Before Carmen Cologne, the most fa- famous recent example of the bystander effect had been the stabbing death of Kitty Genovese in Queens, New York in 1964. And that's where the name Genovese syndrome comes from. 28-year-old Kitty Genovese was attacked by a knife-wielding man. I remember studying this in psychology classes years ago. Uh, she returned home from work one cold morning on March 13th, 1964. Several neighbors had heard her screams as the uh, mystery attacker began to repeatedly stab her in the back. 
Some uh, even actually witnessed, you know, actually saw her be stabbed, yet only one spoke up and yelled for the attacker to stop, which which they did briefly. Uh, but then they didn't come out and, and check on Kitty right away. Uh, the attacker ran away. She staggered alone towards the door of her apartment, collapsed outside the door. And, uh, and then the attacker came back, uh, continued to rape her, stabbed her, uh, according to some reports, for up to a half an hour more, um, you know, like the total attack time, uh, and, and then fled. And then a neighbor, Sophia Farrar, finally did come out there and, and check on her after the, the attacker had left. All in all, estimated that 12 to 38 people saw or heard the lethal attacks. And, and while two people did later claim to call the police, the police uh, have no record of those calls. And the public was outraged. And then the New York Times uh, published an article two weeks later called 38 who saw murder didn't call the police. And, uh, and there is some, uh, some, some things that are disputing some of the facts of that now. So a little bit of controversy of how exactly that happened. Uh, everybody knows that it, that it did happen, that she, she did die. People did hear people did not uh, go to help. I guess there's disputes about, you know, how many people may have tried to to call authorities or not call or or how long the attack went on. But it's also not an isolated incident. It's not like this is the only time we have to refer before this Carmen Cologne story of this happening. And, and there's much more recent examples, including one that happened, uh, you know, fairly near me. Uh, Spokane, 2009, the Riverfront Park rape. Uh, in 2009, a 27-year-old woman was brutally raped by a 53-year-old transient named Terry Lee in broad daylight. Middle of the day, Riverfront Park, a park I've been to many times. Uh, hundreds of witnesses, including many children, either watched or listened to her screams, either saw it happen or heard her screams for help. No one did anything. No one called authorities. Everyone just assumed somebody else would help. Uh, there was an example in 2009 also that got a lot much, uh, much more nationwide publicity. I remember hearing about this in the news uh, when a 15-year-old girl uh, leaving her high school homecoming dance in Richmond, California, uh, which is in the Bay Area near San Francisco, was brutally gang raped and beaten by several young men in just front of tons of witnesses. The attack left the young girl in critical condition, uh, you know, uh, for more than two hours. Some 20 witnesses either watched or took part in a violent sexual assault. Although word quickly spread about what was happening outside on school property, not a single individual called 911, you know, and, and they do, and they do have cell phones now. Nobody did anything to help the girl until her battered, unconscious body was later found under a bench. A fellow student, Manuel Ortega, was the instigator of the attack, received a 32-year prison sentence in the plea deal. Uh, he had ripped off her clothes, punched and kicked her in the head, raped her, encouraged others to rape her, uh, and was also convicted of raping her with a foreign object. And up to 20 people watched and didn't bother to call the police. Powerful reminder to find out what the fuck is going on when you think someone's in trouble. All right. I mean, you are you are an accessory to the crime if you just blow it off like, ah, it's not my problem. No, no, it is your fucking problem because you heard about it. Uh, you know, when you hear screaming and moaning from the other side of the wall in an apartment building, I, know, I mean, I guess you can kind of write off your head like, ah, maybe they're having just rough uh, consensual sex. And, and, and maybe they are. You know, there's a lot of pervs out there. That's OK. Nothing wrong if you want to do it loud and proud. You know, orgasms more intense when you throw caution to the wind, you know, really get into it. Really let yourself go. I get it. Hard to finish if you're worrying about the neighbors. You got to focus. Uh, you know, when you hear that, uh, you know, you, you could think like, oh, screams of no, a role playing. Some are. Some people do enjoy a rape fantasy. Not my thing. But if but if you're but if you're both into it, why should I try and make you feel guilty about a consensual act? But what if something much worse is going on? You need to at least find out. What if it's not role playing? What if it is rape? Uh, nothing wrong with knocking on the door and killing a boner. OK, it'll come back. 
It'll come back, uh, you know, because that's worst case. You ruin somebody's sex. Actually, worst case would be yeah, you get dragged in to an actual crime and then something bad happens to you. But that's highly unlikely. That is highly unlikely. Uh, realistically, worst case, you know, um, somebody else dies because you don't do anything. Somebody else gets, you know, uh, really messed up because you don't do anything. So so call the police, check on it, you know, uh, d- don't just don't just ignore it. And if you see somebody half naked, especially a child, frantically waving their arms for help, Fucking stop and help them. Call the police immediately. Uh, if you're packing some heat, put that heat in your hand and get ready to pull that trigger. Not kidding, man. Some dirtbag puts you in a you or them situation, put the fucking dirtbag down. Uh, and those two teen boys, I know, I, got, I get I get the stuff, definitely riles me. Uh, after those two teen boys find Carmen's body 48 hours after she disappears, her young body removed for autopsy. Um, and uh, the next day, her coat is found in a culvert about 300 feet from her body where it looked as if it had been tossed out, maybe out of a fleeing car, maybe as an afterthought. 11 days later, her green pants are found near her service road roughly a mile before exit three, you know, right where uh, witnesses had seen the car and seen the girl running. Discovery of the pants led to the theory that she, uh, that Carmen had either interrupted a rape herself, like a rape attempt with somebody else, or that she had already been raped before she made a run for it. Man, find him and kill him, Bojangles. Attack, seek and, seek and destroy. Uh, Monroe County Medical Examiner Dr. John Edland conducted the autopsy, determined that Carmen had been raped, beaten, strangled to death. Uh, severe bruising, what appeared to be human fingernail scratches, covered her slim little body. He also found that she had suffered fractures to her skull, and the area around her uh, neck had been gra- gravely injured uh, during the ferocious attack. Uh, police investigate Carmen's crime thoroughly in April 1972. Uh, by, by the end of April, uh, April, uh, police had questioned roughly a thousand people, um, hundreds of possible suspects, including numerous known sex offenders in the area had been investigated in the first few weeks after his appearance alone. And then when no arrests had been made, the police moved in, um, a handful of, uh, uh, investigators kept their case. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Not moved in. I was like, well, moved in, moved on. That'd be weird. Uh, when no arrests had been made, police just, uh, they, they, they moved into new apartments and started new lives for themselves because they were that frustrated. No, they moved on. Sadly, to other cases, a handful of investigators kept the case officially open, but with no new clues, no significant leads. Other crimes took priority. Most of the original investigators seem to uh, still believe that Uncle Stepdad did it. Um, and when it comes to like family versus uh, non-family and like these sex type crimes, you know, they, they just say 90 percent of child molesters are acquainted with their victim. Uh, you know, not sure if that's a scary number or a comforting one. I guess the odds of a stranger molesting your kid are, are, are you know, pretty small, way smaller than, than you or someone you know doing it. And, you know, if you know you're not going to do it, then I guess uh, the greatest odds are that somebody in your immediate family or circle of friends, I guess acquaintances could do it. Uh, they say that uh, 90% or of that 90%, um, 30% of relatives, fathers, stepfathers, brothers, uncles, grandfathers, cousins, the rest are people like babysitters, neighbors, friends. Uh, only 10%, yeah, again, are strangers, man. I expect that number to be so much higher. Uh, but I guess, you know, these, these kind of crimes are usually crimes of opportunity and abuse of trust and, and, and kids, you know, trust the people they know. More on Carmen suspects after we break down the other two New York alphabet murders. Uh, time to go back again to 1961. Uh, Carmen Cologne and this next victim, uh, Wanda Valakovich, were both born that year. Wanda was born on August 4th, 1961 to Joyce and Richard Valakovich in Rochester, poor working class upstate New Yorkers. 1967, Richard dies of a heart attack at the age of 30 when Wanda's just six years old and her little sister Rita is five and the already poor family pushed down into true poverty. 
1968, Joyce moves herself and her two girls into an upstairs apartment in a brown two-story clabbered house at one, uh, 1321 and a half, one of those dash two, uh, Avenue D uh, is the address, a so-so Rochester neighborhood at best. Wanda was a redheaded, blue-eyed, freckle-faced kid who, who by 11 was mature for her years. She was 65-pound tomboy who loved playing outside with friends and staying up as late as mom would allow and also kind of like loved being a little mini mom herself. Wanda's family survived barely on the few hundred dollars Joyce received monthly from her deceased husband's social security benefits. And maybe they also struggled because Joyce loved to frequent the bars in the neighborhood and often took her girls into the taverns that allowed her to uh, to bring kids in while she drank. So sadly, uh, both of these uh, first two girls not raised in the best of family environments. Uh, Joyce gave birth to a third daughter, Michelle, shortly after they moved into the new neighborhood. And then Peyton Jr. Rainey moved in and became Joyce's common-law husband. Uh, stepdad referred to as Junior? Ah, step up from Uncle Stepdad, but probably not ideal. If you're a junior and you're a great guy, good for you. Uh, it just seems like a weird nickname for a grown man. Hi, I, uh, I'm Junior, and this is my buddy uh, Baby, and this is my buddy Fetus. This is uh, Tiny, Wimp, we got Micropene hanging in there in the back. Uh, it was like, what the, ah, just, I don't know. It's a very weird, if, if, I, like I'm almost a junior, my middle name's there, but I wouldn't, I don't know. I just wouldn't go by junior. Ah, anyway, anyway, April 2nd, 1973, it's a cold, wet, gray day in Rochester. Wanda's mood is sunny as she's racing home from school late on the corner of Avenue A in Conkney because she's got the best report card she's ever had. Uh, even though she reportedly missed 57 days of school that year, 57. No mention of catastrophic illness, uh, but 57 days. Clearly did not have a stable home life. Uh, her, but her fifth grade teacher said that she uh, was, an, uh, was an average student, a uh, little above average in reading, which I think is pretty exceptional when you're missing that much school. Also reported to be, again, happy, personable. Uh, she was well-liked. Uh, Wanda's teacher would later tell the media that she could sense that Wanda had too many responsibilities at home. Code for her parents did not have their shit together. Crazy. Junior? Junior's not running a tight ship? Get the fuck out of here. Uh, but none of this seemed to even bother Wanda. In fact, she seemed to bask in the role of little mom or mini adult. You know, uh, that's what one murder investigator would later call her. She was a street smart kid, you know, seemingly capable of, of uh, taking care of herself, helping to care for her mothers and sisters. By the time they were 10 and 11, Wanda and her little sister Rita both become accustomed to interrupting their play to, to run more grown-up type errands for mom. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure there was stuff. I didn't say this, but I get the, I get the vibe. It's a lot of like, hey, go, let's go get your mom some smokes. Uh, walking alone through their sketchy neighborhood. Sometimes they walk together. Sometimes they go to a friend. Usually Wanda, they'll like to go alone if it was her turn. Necessities were needed uh, the Monday evening of April 2nd, 1973. The family pets were out of food. Two-year-old Michelle was out of diapers. And they needed basics like bread and milk for dinner. Uh, so they send the kid instead of mom going. And again, I just, I don't understand the logic here. Like, why can't, why can't the kid not walk around a sketchy-ass neighborhood and stay home? And why can't mom go get the stuff herself? And, uh... Yeah, my gut tells me because his mom probably not in the running for a lot of mom of the year awards based on everything I hear about in the story. And I don't have more ammunition about that here in a second. Um, so sends Wanda out. She puts her coloring book down. She heads out to this nearby deli uh, and she uh, just passed her school just three blocks away. She's very familiar with the route to get there. Took only four minutes dressed in the blue and white check, check her dress, uh, you know, white socks, sneakers she wore to school that day. Uh, the little redhead of Avenue D, as the Democrat and Chronicle will call her, walked down the street, arrived at the Hillside Neighborhood Grocer, dutifully picks up every item on her list, two quarts of milk, package of disposable diapers, bread, cupcakes, soup, tuna fish, dog food, cat food. 
Um, bagger William Van Orden crams everything into one overloaded paper sack so she'd only uh, need a single bag to carry home. And store clerk Richard Chechi jots down a total of $8.52 in Joyce's brown charge book. And then Chechi uh, says that everything seemed normal. Says all Wanda said to him was, I'm in a hurry, which wasn't unlike her. Because a lot of times, you know, mom told her to hurry back home. Said it was a normal thing for her to say. Store employees, two male customers, a third individual standing outside the store, all see Wanda leave Hillside carrying the bulky bag of groceries between 5.15, 5.30 p.m. She's heading north on Conkney, heading towards home. Uh, the Wallacoviches were regulars at Hillside, and Joyce knew exactly how long it would take, you know, her daughter to walk to and from the store, pick up groceries, all that stuff. So when the amount of time has elapsed uh, and she's not back, Wanda sends the other daughter Rita to the store to see what the holdup was. Again, fucking weird. One daughter's, one daughter's not here, so who do I send? Another daughter. Why can't, what's going on with you? Why can't you go? Uh, but Rita's friend, 12-year-old Francine, uh, joins her. Uh, at 7.47, two and a half hours since she had last seen her daughter. Uh, the, other, the other daughter and friend can't find anybody, can't find her, can't find Wanda. So Joyce calls the Rochester Police Department to report Wanda missing. And then she heads to the deli herself to talk to the employees. Okay, so a couple hours later, she's like, I don't know, maybe I should go talk to somebody. Uh, by 8.15, a massive search and rescue is underway. Police and neighbors were searching backyards, alleys, railroad tracks, the entire area between the tracks and Avenue A. Uh, while talking to the missing p- persons report, police, this is this is what makes me very angry towards uh, Wanda's mom. And I know it's not her fault. She, I know, I know, let me rephrase that. I know that she is not the person who does something to her daughter specifically, but check this shit out. Um, police are told of a close encounter Wanda and a nine-year-old friend had two nights earlier. Two nights before she goes missing, uh, a strange man near some fucking railroad tracks a block away at around 10 p.m. is literally hiding behind some bushes like a creep out of a shitty after-school movie. He jumps out of the bushes, uh, chases him, runs after him. They have to run away. Uh, they don't see his face, but they do get a glimpse of his shoes and, and uh, uh, with some buckles on him. They give this description uh, to the police. Find- he is a sex offender, a known sex offender in the area. Jo- Joyce is asked by police if she was aware of this incident. She re- reluctantly said that she was. So she knows that two nights earlier, a known sex offender had been hiding in the bushes and then chases her daughter. And then and like her, her, her 11-year-old or 10-year-old, excuse me, 10-year-old daughter. And then, and then sends her out the next day. What the fuck, lady? Come on, Junior. What are you doing? Uh, 10-year-old daughter gets, yeah, chased, man. Ah. Yep. So I don't know. This is this whole like this. This mother does remind me of like a character from like Shameless, like a, somebody Frank Gallagher would date. And again, I feel terrible for what happened to her daughter. I can't imagine losing a child that way. But come on, man. Parent, be a parent. Uh, one of the first things Lindsay and I did in our current neighborhood before we even moved in was check out the local police registries for known sex offenders. Uh, there, there aren't any in our neighborhood, like right around us, but there are several, a few blocks away. Uh, that I would like to beat unconscious. I'd like to throw their bodies in the perfect world in the back of my truck, uh, drive them out to the woods, and perform some Wild West uh, vigilante justice on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah! Time to die, motherfuckers! Uh, have them dig some graves, strip naked, you know, show them some pictures of kids, and uh, whoever gets a boner gets dumped in the dirt. How about that little test? How about that little Roche Arch uh, uh, boner test? Um, I just, I do hate pedophiles, man. Lows to the low to me. Humanity's bottom feeders. Grabbing an innocent child, uh, abusing them, killing them in some cases. And it's always that, oh, but I can't help it. I have these urges that I, I can't control. All right, maybe. Okay, maybe. I'm, I'm not saying you don't. I get it, but what if I have the urge to kill people with your urge? Maybe I can't control that. Um, I can't actually because I don't, I don't want to go to prison. 
Uh, if only I could be some kind of Dexter. If only I could just get away with it. But uh, I don't think I could. I'd probably drop my driver's license or something. Um, and when the kids were with us down in L.A., you know, before we moved up to Coeur d'Alene, I never let them play outside uh, unsupervised ever. And I'm not saying I'm some perfect parent because I'm certainly not. I'm not at all. Not even close. Not even the ballpark. But uh, but yeah, I would ne- just, I'm like, nah, I, I've, I've heard too many stories like this. No way, man. No thanks. I would take them to a park. And even sometimes there, if I'd look at my phone and then pop up and I couldn't see him, immediate panic. And I would jump up and start yelling until I'd found him. Cold sweat pops out immediately. Anyway, back to Wanda. Uh, not trying to, uh, to, to, to victim shame the, the mother Joyce here. I know the real mo- monsters, whoever took Wanda. But man, please, time suckers, protect your kids. You, you listen to this show, you know there's a lot of sick fucks out there in the world. Be suspicious of everyone. It's worth it. Nothing is more important than your kid's safety. Like, nothing. Um, man, I'm not going to uh, I'm not gonna name names. I know, I can't shut up about this right now. But there have been certain relatives and family friends uh, uh, I've had over the years who, who I have made it very clear my kids are never, ever to be alone with. And these people have never been convicted of anything. They just gave me the creeps. Just my gut, just based on some circumstances in their life. I'm like, nope, uh-uh. They never get to be around the kids alone, ever, ever. Uh, and, I, and I check in with my kids way too much about it, too. Like, so much that they just kind of like, oh, Jesus, Dad. Now when I talk, I'm like, you guys know that no one's supposed to touch your private parts. Actually, they're a little older now, so I don't even say private parts. I just say, I'm like, no one's supposed to touch your dick, not your balls, not your butt, especially not your butthole, not your vagina, not your boobs. None of that. None of that gets touched by anybody uh, at all, by anybody at all. You, other than yourself, if you can touch it, fine. No one else gets to touch it. Maybe, maybe a doctor, but that's it. But seriously, I'm like, nobody, and, and if some, and I tell them too, I'm like, if somebody tells you that, uh, you know, they'll hurt somebody, they'll hurt you. If you find out, I swear, I swear I tell my kids to the point Lindsay eventually has to step. And I'm like, I swear to God, I swear to God, I'll kill him. You just, that's not true. We have guns. I will fucking, I will murder them. I will put them down. And that's when Lindsay's like, oh, all right. Okay. That's enough. Okay. Now you're just, you're, you're getting weird. Uh, you're not going to go to prison. I'm like, but I'm like, yeah, but I will. I'll tell my kids I will go to prison. I'll, it's worth it in that circumstance. Ah, uh, okay. Now we're finally back for real. April 3rd, 1973. This is a day, should have been a time of celebration in the Valakovich household. It was Wanda's little sister, Rita's 10th birthday. She's turning 10 now, but you can imagine no one's celebrating because nobody can find Wanda at 10.15 that morning before authorities had arrived at the house bearing the bad news. Joyce hears over a police scanner that a young girl's body had been located at a rest area in Webster, she knows immediately it's Wanda. 15 minutes earlier, New York State Trooper Thomas Zimmer on routine patrol along New York State Route 104 in Webster when he's pulled onto the approach ramp of the old uh, Arondecoit Bay area, or excuse me, Arondecoit Bay rest area just before the bridge that crosses over the bay. He had spotted something white on the hillside. Uh, he saw Wanda's bare legs. She was laying face down on the cold, barren ground, lifeless in the, in the dress she had worn to school the previous day. Uh, she'd been found Dead in Webster, and that's the, the, the initials again, Wanda uh, Volokovich, which because it's Polish and they don't know how words work, uh, is actually spelled with a W. Uh, found dead in Webster. Uh, Dr. John Edland, the same medical examiner who performed Carmen's autopsy, determined that Wanda, too, had been sexually assaulted before being strangled to death with an object, perhaps a smooth belt. Unlike Carmen, who was left naked from the waist down, Wanda at, at least still had on her dress, but uh, some sources say that it appears that she was, she was redressed after being assaulted. Stomach contents revealed she had eaten custard within two hours of her death, even though she had left home with no cash and had not purchased such an item at the Hillside Deli. Who bought her this custard? One can only imagine it was the killer. 
Uh, force of 50 officers this time dispatch, uh, are dispatched to canvas the Volokovich uh, neighborhood as well as the location where the body was found, methodically going door to door to check for suspects, see if anybody had seen anything suspicious. No luck. Uh, even though investigators initially felt confident that the neighborhood was too populated for someone not to have seen the person who had taken her. Uh, two detectives from the Monroe County Sheriff's Office, two who had investigated the Carmen Cologne murder, are assigned to Wanda's case on the chance the two homicides are in fact connected. After all, these girls are nearly the same age. Both have been abducted while running late afternoon errands for their mothers. Both are found by the side of the road, raped and strangled to death. Authorities spent the first few days bringing in men, including some sex offenders living in the area who had been questioned regarding Carmen's murder. An elderly man was brought in, uh, some, uh, some old creep who, who had offered Wanda and her friend a dime for kisses in a playground two years earlier. Creepy ass old fuck. Uh, some ex-con who'd attacked a young girl in late 1960s was also questioned. Family and friends who knew Wanda said she was too street smart to be lured in by a stranger that she knew better. Our playmate said she would have put up a fight if someone had tried to force her into the vehicle. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I guess based on these assumptions, investigators considered it was a strong possibility that Wanda knew her killer and gone willingly with him. I don't know, though. I just think, like, you know, she was under 70 pounds, you know. Uh, she wouldn't have been that hard for a grown-ass man to, to, to force into, into a car or van or whatever. Um, you know, and, and there is this thing where a lot of a situational type child molesters, a lot of times when it is a stranger, it is this kind of, uh, the situational dictate it's, it's a, it's a crime of opportunity. Uh, these people feel like they have an immediate need that they feel must be satisfied. They're like rabid dogs. Um, and, and maybe Wanda was just walking by and, uh, she was last seen by, uh, by some school grounds, which is noteworthy because places like, you know, schools, playgrounds are magnets for these kind of predators, street smart or not, you know. One of these people could have easily just forced her into a vehicle. Four days after Wanda was abducted, just minutes from home, loved ones are, are saying goodbye and burying her. Uh, the day after Wanda's body was found, the, the Gannett Rochester newspapers uh, offered a reward of $2,500 for information leading to the apprehension of the killer. And as was the case with Carmen Cologne, a secret witness line was established, which callers could identify themselves or remain anonymous. A week after the suspect witness program had been implemented, it received nearly 400 phone tips. And letters also were sent into the police. Uh, the Citizens for a Decent Community, CDC, initially offered a reward of $1,000. An amount increased to $6,000 when the Rochester Auto Dealers Association contributed five grand to the fund. God bless those people. Hail Nimrod. Uh, by April 11th, just a week after Wanda's murder, uh, murder, rewards leading to the killer's identity had climbed to $9,951, equivalent to roughly 50 grand today. On April 25th, the CDC sponsored five billboards offering a $10,000 reward for information leading to the killer. Uh, they'd actually also done that with Carmen's case. Uh, an anonymous caller came in on the secret witness line claiming to have seen a man force a red-haired red -haired girl into a car at the corner of Conkney Avenue and Wanda Street uh, before 5.30 and 6 p.m. Unfortunately, when police appealed to the first anonymous tipster who allegedly saw this happen, uh, couldn't get him to call back. And no part of me understands it. No part of me understands, like, why wouldn't you call in when you see that happen initially? And then when you hear about this and then you do call in and, and then you're you're not like you, they're putting out more like ads in the paper saying like, hey, please call back. And you're just like, nah, man, fuck that anonymous caller. Uh, police received word that a couple of 10 year old girls said they'd been approached on the Saturday two days before Wanda disappeared by a man about 30 years old wearing a long black coat. Tried to get him into a 1971 Ford LTD, black on top, white on the bottom. This man had a black beard, a mole on his forehead, according to the Democrat and Chronicle. The incident took place on the other side of the Genesee River. 
uh, directly west of where Wanda had disappeared. Uh, but police were sadly unable to locate this additional mystery perv. And how many fucking pervs are in this neighborhood, by the way? Uh, a month later, an article in the Times Union called uh, Probe into Wanda's Sling Could Be Nearing Dead End said that after one of the most exhaustive murder investigations in Monroe County history, Wanda's killer was still eluding law enforcement officials, and they just didn't have the leads to follow up on or enough evidence to really uh, charge anyone or or to continue to thoroughly pursue this investigation. So, uh, you know, it just kind of dwindles down. And then nine months after this article, a third double initial area child will go missing. And we're going to talk about that disappearance immediately after a word from one of today's sponsors. Time Suck is brought to you again by The Great Courses Plus. Hail Nimrod. Uh, the Great Courses Plus lets you view the world through different perspectives, continually surprise yourself with new discoveries, kind of like Time Suck. Uh, get unlimited access to learn from people who are passionate about their areas of expertise, uh, whether it's history or ancient Egypt, astronomy, forensic history, brain hacks, photography, etc., etc., etc. Watch or listen anytime with the Great Courses Plus app. I have been enjoying via the app another one of their brand new courses, uh, uh, The Philosophy of Humor. Right, Very interesting to me as a stand-up comic. This course gives great insight into what makes us laugh and why, the relationship between humor and tragedy, what makes a joke a joke. It even looks at whether or not a sense of humor is necessary to be fully human. Uh, I think so. I've met some so-called humans who, who read strongly as humorless robots when I've spoken to them. Uh, they have 24 different lectures on humor. Uh, I just watched lecture three, The Science of Laughter, presented by Professor Stephen Gimbel, PhD in philosophy from John Hopkins. He's been given the Bernice L. Thompson Distinguished Teaching Award while teaching at John Hopkins. And in one of his many lectures, he talks about why we laugh. Like, uh, like why do we make this noise? <laughs> why do we make why do we make this noise? <laughs> yeah, here. Well, what about this one? <laughs> All right. What about that super annoying one? <laughs> why would you make that noise? Well, Professor Gimbel discusses the way different mechanisms elicit laughter. And how different stimuli trigger those mechanisms. Understanding slapstick humor, that actually originates in a different part of the brain than understanding sarcasm. Like you can have a head injury and no longer care for slapstick humor, but totally still get sarcasm or vice versa. I just find that fascinating. Uh, and he just talks about how the, uh, the ability to understand humor develops as we age. Because as the brain develops, it focuses on different things. And, and it can be messed with in different ways to elicit laughter like a... Uh, because it comes, because it originates all laughter originates initially from the old uh, lizard brain parts of our, of our brain, uh, you know, used to let kind of chimps know that we're 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 okay, you know, being tricked. We get it. We're not mad. We're not going to beat anyone else to death. You know, it's a very ancient form of communication at, at its basis. Uh, used to express enjoyment of understanding the incongruity or absurdity of what someone uh you know is, is doing. And then check this out: from like six months to a year, when we're little babies. Uh, we mentally establish something called object permanence. That's the ability to recognize that something out of sight is not gone. It's just somewhere else. And that's when the peekaboo game becomes real fun. That's why nine-month-old babies love playing peekaboo. They know you're not gone. You're just being a silly goose hiding. And they don't understand how. Uh, they understand the game and they find it funny. Uh, by two, though, we're over that joke. It's old news. It's hacky. You know, now we're able to understand the expected uses of objects. You know, what you're supposed to do with things. Which is why if you tell a two-year-old you're going to go to their belly button and put their applesauce away, you're killing. You're crushing with the two-year-old. You're comedy god. And, it's, and all that's explained much better and in much more detail by Professor Gimbel. And if you're curious, you can listen for free. Now is the perfect time to get started with The Great Courses Plus. For a limited time only, you get a full month of free uh, courses, lectures, when you sign up at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash timesuck. 
Start your free month today only at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash timesuck. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash timesuck. Link on the Timesuck app in today's episode description. And now for the third victim's tale in the upstate New York double initial killings. Uh, like Wanda and Carmen, 11-year-old Michelle uh, Mayanza was on a late afternoon errand for her mother when she was abducted. On November 28, 1962, Michelle Mayanza uh, was born to parents Christopher and Carolyn in Rochester. They had uh, two sons already, Stephen and Angelo. Nearly a decade later, Christopher and Carolyn would separate, and Michelle's two brothers would live with their father at 21 Hall Street in Rochester, and Michelle remained with her mother at 25 Webster Crescent, along with her two younger sisters, Marie, who was eight, and baby Christine. In a Times Union article uh, dated November 27, 1973, Christopher described 11-year-old Michelle as quiet, happy-go-lucky, friendly, uh, but emotionally immature compared to other girls her age. And she was sadly the victim of relentless bullying at school. She was teased, picked on by kids her own age because she was overweight. And she preferred to hang out with younger kids who just uh, accepted her, uh, you know, how she was and looked up to her. School staff told the Times Union in December 1973 that Michelle was an average student who fell into the normal range, but is making satisfactory pro- uh, progress or was making satisfactory progress. Uh, Carolyn was a protective mother. She uh, always had her three daughters with her wherever she went, according to neighbors on the dead end Webster Crescent, uh, whether she was going to the laundry, a store, or a friend's house. Uh, November 26, 1973, Carolyn arrives at school at dismissal time to pick up her daughter, uh, except that uh, eight-year-old Marie and uh, uh, the neighbor girl, they did come out, so pick up her daughters, but but 11-year-old, uh, uh, but, but she's told that 11-year-old daughter Michelle has to stay. So Carolyn then makes the decision uh, she would regret for the rest of her life. She walks back home with just the baby and the two younger girls, confident that Michelle, who would turn 11 the next day, would, would be fine walking home alone just this, just this one time. And I feel so bad for this poor mom. She, to me, sounds like a hardworking, protective lady doing her best. She did walk to her daughter's school uh, to get her this not even that far away, you know, but she does do it every day. But then she finds out, you know, they don't call for some reason, this school, to tell her that her daughter has detention. And then she, so she has to walk back alone, just a few blocks, you know, nothing, I mean, just this one time, and then the worst happens. Michelle had been having a day that was going, uh, you know, fast from from bad to worse. Statements made recently on blogs by former students uh, from Michelle's class would later state that she'd been unfairly kept at school for detention. Uh, You know, some girl was bullying her, and she kind of gave it back to her a little bit, and then they both got in trouble. Like, like the, I've always hated that. I always feel like that's a lazy way to do things. Um, uh, as, a, as a teacher, maybe maybe there's more to it that I don't understand. But if like if you know one kid's being a fucking asshole, and then the other kid eventually's like, go fuck yourself. I don't think the kid who says something at the end after being tormented should get in any trouble. That's like I've always told my kids. I'm like, I don't give a shit what your school system says. If some kids hit you, you fucking pop them back as hard as you goddamn want in their faces. Uh, you know what? I, I will go to to court for you if necessary to defend your right to defend yourself. Anyway. They're getting riled up again. I'll talk about all this kid stuff. So um, between 3.05, 3.15 p.m., Michelle finally leaves school 33, heads down Webster Avenue alone. Normally, Michelle would walk past her uncle's gas station at the intersection of Webster Avenue and Melville Street, just a few hundred feet from her doorstep. Uh, not that day because she was a sweet, thoughtful little girl on a mission to locate her mother's purse that had been left at the Super Saver store in Goodman Plaza the previous Saturday. Man, uh, these are all sad, but this one especially gets me for some reason. You know, she's a, she's a good kid. She's getting picked on at school. She's going to do something nice for her hardworking mom. Uh, she doesn't return home by five that afternoon. Her distressed mom goes to the house of her neighbor. The woman said Carolyn could hardly talk. She was crying so hard, so worried. 
5.40 p.m., Carolyn calls the Rochester Police Department to report her daughter is missing. Friends and family assure the authorities that Michelle had never run away before. Carolyn says she's unaware of, of anything that would, that would uh, be going on in her life that would make her want to run away. According to the Director of Health and Physical Education for the Rochester City Schools, uh, Nicholas Zona, all children 4th through 6th grade have been re- required uh, to watch a movie called Stranger Beware. Uh, Michelle knew not to willingly get in a car or to walk off with a stranger. Uh, so, so had she gone with somebody she knew? Or again, like we kind of talked about earlier, had somebody just been able to overpower her? By now, various agencies working together knew the drill. Another young girl's gone missing. Foul plays again suspected, of course. Uh, this girl, she has hazel eyes, shoulder length, uh, dark brown hair with bangs. She was last seen in the vicinity of Webster Avenue and Goodman Plaza wearing this purple coat, silver trim, black boots, went to her knees, purple slacks with a zigzag pattern. Uh, her description is broadcast hourly over police radios and patrol cars, uh, continues to be broadcast throughout the night. The northeast part of the city is immediately and painstakingly searched with special emphasis on Michelle's neighborhood. A door-to-door search again commences, uh, continues throughout the night. That yields no results again. Police investigators, they spread out, canvas parking lots, parks, deserted areas, just fucking everywhere. Can't find anything. Dawn hits, uh, still no leads. Family and authorities are becoming obviously less optimistic that she's going to be found alive and okay. Uh, and then uh, Carolyn uh, Mayanza collapses and is rushed to the hospital. She has basically a nervous breakdown. Um, she's placed under sedation uh, while the police continue their manhunt at about 9.15 a.m. on November 28th. Two days after Michelle Mayanza had last been seen alive, her badly bruised, fully clothed body was found dumped in a ditch in a rural area of Wayne County, about 17 miles east of where she had last been seen. Eugene Vandewall, the fire chief of the Walworth Volunteer Fire Department, told police he was driving east on Eddie Road en route to 476 Eddie Road to pick up Richard Stalker so they could look at a new fire truck. Spots Michelle's crumpled body in the grass by the north side of the road, 70 yards from the intersection uh, of Mill Road. And uh, or with Mill Road in the little town of uh, Macedon, little little town 18 miles southeast of downtown Rochester, just laying in a ditch. Uh, so again, MMM. Michelle Mayanza found in Macedon. Like Wanda, Michelle had been redressed, but several snap fasteners on her shirt had been torn in the assault, according to the coroner. Her coat was found in a ditch half a mile away where her body had been dumped. Uh, you know, uh, this means the killer probably either uh, left the coat at the scene of the crime before dumping the body elsewhere or noticed it still in his vehicle after disposing of the body and tossed out the windows. He drove away. Uh, kind of similar how Dirk Carmen's stuff had been displaced and discarded. Similarities between the three murders prompted murder uh, investigators to confess to the press after Michelle's body was found that there was a very strong possibility that one individual had committed all these crimes. Uh, this killer was targeting prepubescent girls, abducting them, uh, abducting them, excuse me, from the streets in broad daylight, violating them, strangling them, leaving their bodies on the side of roads with little attempt to hide their bodies. Either they didn't give a shit whether or not they were found or they actually wanted the bodies to be found. Maybe they got off on uh, scaring the public or outsmarting authorities, you know, kind of like the Zodiac killer did. Michelle's official cause of death was asphyxiation by strangulation. Uh, and she'd been brutally raped before being murdered, just like Carmen and Wanda. It's reported in the Democrat and Chronicle that Michelle's body bore uh, marks about the face, neck, and one arm. Appeared to be it appeared that a garroting device, perhaps a thin belt, had been used to strangle both Michelle and Wanda, but Michelle's neck had a clean red line circling it, as well as bruising that indicated the killer also used both his uh, both of his hands. Bruises were found on upper arms and elsewhere, based on the remains of a cheeseburger found in her stomach. Uh, investigator Ed, or the coroner, excuse me, Edland, uh, determined that Med, uh, Michelle had eaten within an hour and a half of her death, so a strong suspect uh, uh, does emerge. Uh, a promising lead does come forth. 
from one of Michelle's young friends. Uh, she said that uh, she was on her way to another girl's house on Monday afternoon, saw Michelle walking down Ackerman towards Goodman Plaza. When the girl left her friend's house and headed back towards Webster, she saw Michelle pass by, riding in the front seat of a beige car that was speeding out of Goodman Plaza toward Webster Avenue. That car nearly collided with another vehicle that was turning from Webster into Ackerman or onto Ackerman. The witness told her mother what she had seen when she got home, but that was before Michelle had been reported missing, so neither thought much of it again until news of her murder broke several days later. Uh, and then a local firefighter, Dennis Termini, uh, who had had a car just like the one seen by Michelle's young friend and the others at the intersection that day, uh, right down to the dent, uh, became a suspect um, a little bit later. He was suspected, suspected after he committed suicide a month later. More on him in a bit. Uh, December 5th, 27 community organiz- uh, organizations sponsored a public meeting at the East Area High School a few blocks from where she disappeared to offer parents ideas on how to keep their kids safe, how to brainstorm to keep the neighborhood safe. On December 6th, the Time Unions published a plea to the killer on behalf of the community called Open Letter to Slayer, Turn Yourself In. Uh, soon a man came forward with information about a strange encounter he had with a man on State Route 350 uh, nearby. According to an article called Man Wanted, Have You Seen Him? In the Times Union of December 4th, a motorist recalled that on the previous Monday around dusk, the same day Michelle was abducted, he saw a beige car, again with that beige car, uh, pulled over on the side of Route 350 near Eddy Road, less than a mile from where her body would be found. The man slowed to uh, to offer assistance, believing the car had a flat tire, and said that when he approached the idle vehicle, the guy standing beside it grabbed a young, quote-unquote, chubby girl, stepped in front of her, so she was out of view, then moved towards the front of his car, shielding the girl behind him, stepped in front of the license plate as if to block that too from view, the motorist uh, said that the man took a step towards him with his fist raised menacingly, at which point the motorist rolled up his window and drove off. Ah, that's not good. Okay, well, you can drive a little ways away, but why don't you stay in the area? Why don't you try and, you know, track him down by your car? Something. Wave down somebody else to help. Make, make some commotion. Uh, the suspect was said to be a slender white male, about six feet tall, perhaps a bit more, had clear skin, medium complexion, uh, dark wavy hair. Uh, shorter on the sides and the back, but came down to the bridge of his nose in the front. Investigators scoured neighborhoods, criminal databases for a man fitting that description. Total number of investigators on the case was increased to more than 50, 15 of whom were assigned full time. The day after a sketch, this new suspect appeared in the papers. A woman called and told police she had seen a man who looked just like the one in the sketch taking a hamburger to a young girl in a car at Carol's Drive-In Restaurant at the Panorama Plaza in Penfield about 4.30 p.m. on the day Michelle vanished. This piques everybody's interest because, you know, uh, if, you re- if you recall, the medical examiner, you know, said that, uh, that a cheeseburger had been eaten within an hour and a half of her death. Also important was the location because the distance between the ta- Panorama Plaza to the spot where, route, uh, where the Route 350 witness saw a suspicious man with a girl was very minimal. The killer could have taken uh, New York 441 East 10 miles and simply turned right in New York 350 and then driven two more miles. Uh, December 11th, authorities thought they had finally gotten a big break in the case when the motorist who had approached the vehicle on Route 350 called the sheriff's department early that week to report that he had seen the same man again. And this time he did get a license plate number. Uh, the suspect who resided in Lyons or Lyons was in his 20s, unemployed and divorced, had a criminal record, although no sex offenses. Uh, and this guy couldn't recall what he'd been doing on the evening of November 26th. But when police searched his home, uh, with his permission, they found nothing incriminating. Uh, and then finally, records of long-distance phone calls had been made from that man's house at 2.18 p.m. and 3.15 p.m. on that day. Uh, the day that Michelle disappeared revealed he could not have been involved in her abduction. He also voluntarily took a polygraph test that he passed and then was eliminated as a suspect. Damn it! January 1974, 
A detective told, uh, told the Times Union that although there were still 15 men assigned to the case full time, the investigation into the rape and murder of Michelle Mayanza was dying a slow death. Their most promising lead had gone nowhere. Some piece of shit, some real life monster had gotten away with at least three child rape and, and murders around Rochester, New York. Okay, a lot of info. Now let's pop out of this initial timeline. Look at some of the suspects uh, before jumping into the next series of murders and looking at the, the man, Joseph Nasso, who was convicted for those crimes. A man convicted of killing in California who did, again, have strong ties to the Rochester area. Good job, soldier. You've made it back. Barely. Okay, so looking at these suspects, some of this is going to bring us back into uh, aspects of the crimes we just talked about. Uh, let's kick off our suspect discussion by taking a look at dirtbag number one. What's behind dirtbag number one door? Oh, fucking dirtbag. Uh, let's talk about local firefighter Dennis Termini uh, abusing locals' trust in the generally wonderful and heroic firefighters like a true sociopath is what this guy was doing. On New Year's Day, 1974, less than five weeks after the murder of Michelle Manza, 25-year-old Rochester firefighter Dennis Termini sat in somebody else's car, shot himself in the head with a 45 caliber automatic pistol, and good fucking riddance. Uh, the reason he killed himself uh, uh, made him prime suspect in the alphabet murders. Shortly, after, uh, shortly before blowing his brains out, uh, Dennis had tried to abduct a teenage girl at gunpoint as, as she left her hotel. I almost said shortly after, which would make this story so much we weirder, right? Like shortly after uh, blowing his brains out and dying, he abducted two girls as a fucking pedo zombie. I'd be making this real weird. No, uh, right before he had uh, blown his brains out, he, he had tried to abduct a teenage girl at gunpoint as she left her hotel. Uh, but then he let her go when she could, he couldn't stop her from screaming. He was afraid she was attracting too much attention. And then he lets her go. He flees on foot. Uh, before someone, uh, you know, were, were to come and grab him, I guess. But he, but he still didn't call it a day. Instead, he just thought, I guess, who else can I violate? Uh, who else can I give a give a lifetime of trust issues and nightmares to? Who else can I possibly impregnate with my demon seat? Uh, I guess I could go home, you know, just stop. But if I did that, then who would get held hostage or raped today? Ah, oh, man, no, I can't have that happen. I gotta, I, I gotta honor the plans that I made. Yeah, he 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 lets one woman go only to immediately brazenly search for another young girl. He grabs a second girl, 18 years old, and she's walking alone through a northeast neighborhood of Rochester, forces her at gunpoint into a garage, and demands that she immediately undress. By the time she gets down to just a bra and panties, the police show up thanks to a neighbor who had called him after seeing him grab this girl. Uh, finally, someone's fucking calling the police in the story. Uh, seeing the flashing lights and hearing the sirens, Termini uh, once again flees on foot. This time he finds a vehicle parked in his driveway, climbs inside, locks the doors. Uh, Cernus, uh, Cernus, I was trying to combine two words. Uh, Sergeant Ernest Morph responds to the 9-11 or 9 call, uh, regarding Termini grabbing that second girl along with patrolman Lindy Johnson. He chases Termini, uh, or Termini, uh, through several backyards, jumping over fences, tracing his footsteps through the newly fallen snow until he finally cornered Termini in that locked car where he took his gun out and pointed at his head. Sergeant Morph called for backup from a portable radio while they're waiting for backup to arrive. That's when Termini pulled the trigger. Uh, sent a bullet through his right temple, took his own life, and it was soon determined that Termini uh, had been active, much, much, uh, uh, very active prior to that day. He was a sexual predator known locally by police as the garage rapist, a man who had eluded Rochester police for years. Yeah, there are so many dirtbags in this story today. Uh, there was a string of unsolved rapes involving at least 
14 teenagers and young women violated in residential garages that occurred between 1971 and 1973, the same period in which the double initial murders took place. A coincidence not lost on police. And with how chronically under underreported rapes are, who knows how many women this guy actually raped. Uh, after his suicide, Termini immediately became, of course, prime suspect in the alphabet rape murders. He had lived at 159 Block St- or Box Street, only a two-minute drive from where Michelle was last seen. Uh, investigators determined that he had also stalked the, the very same neighborhoods that Carmen and Wanda uh, had lived in. He operated both on foot and by car, was known to have abducted at least one of his many victims and driven uh, her to a secluded location before raping her. However, there were two very important things about Termini's crimes that strayed from the pattern of the double initial murders. Uh, His 14 known victims, all of them were older. All of them, you know, were were much older than those girls. And all of them had been left alive after they'd been raped. Still, a lot of circumstantial evidence points at uh, Termini. You know, again, he'd been in the neighborhoods. Uh, you know, w- when they disappeared. Also, his vehicle matched the description of the one seen barreling around the corner at the intersection of Ackerman Street and Webster Avenue, uh, right down to the uh, the color of that beige, uh, right down to that distinctive dent described by witnesses. There was also a map found in his car uh, that highlighted Wayne County, uh, which is where Michelle's body was found. Uh, and there was a firefighter uniform in the truck, which could fit that theory that the girls didn't weren't forced in somewhere. They were, uh, you know, that somebody who had gained their trust had abducted them. You know, kids tend to trust firefighters. Decades later, armed with this information and more, the Monroe County Sheriff's Department obtained a search warrant to exhume his body for the purpose of searching his gravesite, casket, and remains for uh, for obtaining a DNA sample to compare to evidence found at the uh, double initial crime scenes. On January 4th, uh, 2007, his body was disinterred from the frozen soil, taken to the medical examiner's office for recovery of tissue and bone samples. And then seven weeks later, results of the DNA testing came back, indicating that Termini was not the rapist slayer of at least Wanda Valakovich. Uh, he, he is still a suspect in the two other murders because while authorities have ta- had taken semen from Wanda's crime scene to compare with his, uh, his DNA, the semen collected the scenes of Michelle and Carmen's death, unfortunately, are no longer available. They were either lost over the years or, or the initial samples deteriorated. Crime resp- uh, reports do not specify. So unless someone else is convicted of those, uh, of those murders, he will remain a suspect. Now let's talk about dirtbag number two. Dirtbag number two is all Uncle Stepdad. Uncle Stepdad Miguel, of course it is. Uncle Stepdad's always suspects on some level. Slightly less suspicious than Grandpa Dad's or Uncle Cousins. Uh, an acquaintance of Miguel told investigators that Uncle Stepdad showed up at his apartment shortly after billboards had been put up regarding Carmen's disappearance and told him that, quote, he needed to get out of the country quick. Ding, 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 ding. That's a bit of a red flag. That's a, ta- that's a, that's a wee bit suspicious. Uh, Miguel was brought in for questioning regarding the rape of murder, uh, rape and murder, excuse me, of Carmen Colon on March 28th, 1972, uh, less than four months after Carmen was assaulted and killed. And, uh, and then a few days later, uh, he takes off to, uh, uh, Puerto Rico. Uh, investigators then follow him and, uh, and uncle stepdad literally hides in the jungle for the, for the entire six days. Investigators look for him in Puerto Rico. That's, that's very suspicious to me. Um, yeah. Oh, and, and I, oh, I'm sorry. And I wrote that. I had to have written that down wrong in my notes. Uh, a few days after uh, the actual, like, uh, everything gets reported, then he takes off. He's he's brought in for questioning months later, and I'll tell you why. Yeah, because the way I put it in my notes here did not make any sense. No. Uh, they want to bring him initially. He flees. Then they get him months later. Uh, Rochester detectives have to trick him to bring him in, finally. Uh, they have to, because they go to Puerto Rico, no, you know, they can't find him there. And they, um, they spread a rumor through some local papers out there that say that they have brought in his mother 
for questioning, and they're going to detain her until he comes in himself, which they can't do. That's illegal. But uh, but he falls for it, and he flies back to Rochester, like, please please let my mom go. Uh, and then they're like, gotcha, dummy. Ah, Uncle Stepdad's never known for being the uh, sharpest knives in the drawer. Uh, Uncle Stepdad maintains his innocence throughout the six-hour interrogation, manages to pass a lie detector test, taken to state police headquarters in the central New York town of, uh, ooh, this is a tough one, uh, Cannon, Canandaigua, Canandaigua, and investigators, even though lie detectors have since proven to be faulty, uh, they had no choice but to release him. Uh, they released him despite a witness describing a vehicle matching Miguel's backing up to Carmen on the side of the uh, side of the road. Remember the freeway that day that she was kidnapped and killed? And they had to release him despite the fact that he had also, this is so suspicious, uh, thoroughly cleaned his car inside and out, including the trunk, right before investigators searched it. You know how many times I have thoroughly cleaned the trunk of any car I've ever owned? Fucking zero. You know why? It's trunk. Because I'm not going to put any people in there. So it doesn't need to be that clean. I've kind of lightly, you know, ran a vacuum over it here and there when I've, you know, I don't know, had something like got some dirt or something back there. But uh, like thoroughly clean the trunk right after this when you're a suspect. Ding, ding, ding. Guilty. Uh, Yeah, this dude looks guilty as hell, man. Especially when you consider the possibility that this murder doesn't have to be related to either of the two other alphabet murders. You know, DNA evidence hasn't definitively linked all three killings. He could have killed his stepdad uh, or his stepdaughter, uh, you know, slash niece, Carmen, and someone else could have killed the other two girls. Uh, some investigators uh, also believe there is a deep-seated secret in the Cologne family regarding Uncle Stepdad and his involvement in Carmen's uh, life and death. There's a suspicion that he may have molested her for a while before she died. Uh, they say that they've had a lot of trouble getting straight answers out of, uh, out of a lot of his family members over the years. Complicating Miguel even further as a suspect is his death in 1991. This is what makes me feel even that much more comfortable about making fun of this piece of shit. On February 17, 1991, nearly 25 years after Carmen is killed, Miguel shoots himself to death in a house on Radio Street after assaulting Carmen's mother, uh, Guianina, and Guianina's brother, Juan Melendez, uh, with the same gun during a domestic dispute. When police arrived, Miguel demanded that he be shot. He wanted that, you know, uh, suicide by cop situation. Uh, they, don't, they don't give in to those demands. Then he shoots himself just right then and there, taking a lot of unanswered questions to the grave with him. And a lot of investigators, including one of the lead investigators, uh, Nick, De, Nick DeRosa, in, uh, in, in um, Carmen's disappearance and murder, uh, are certain that Miguel killed Carmen. Uh, sadly, a lot of the fi- uh, crucial physical evidence collected at the scene of Carmen's murder, as well as subsequent to, have been lost or destroyed over the years, uh, which makes all this stuff you know, that much more complicated to investigate now. And like I said earlier, there there are only semen samples from from you know Wanda's case and, and not the other two now. Ah, okay. Now there's another suspect, another primary suspect in the Carmen Cologne case. Um, uh, is dirtbag number three, James Barber, uh, another uh, Monroe County Sheriff investigator, Sergeant Robert uh, Russello, found a connection. He learned that Barber had already been arrested for molesting a young girl in the past and was at the time of Carmen's murder. Wanted for assaulting and sodomizing a 15-year-old girl in Ohio. And this piece of shit uh, happened to be in the Bull's Head neighborhood where he had social ties when she was abducted and killed. Uh, he was working in, in the area. And this is really suspicious to me. He had penciled in his uh, hours on his time card the day Carmen disappeared. Rather than letting the machine punch the information like it normally did. It's weird to have that aberration on the day she goes missing, uh, especially when the person who this, uh, has this aberration is somebody who has committed sex crimes on youths before. 
Uh, even more suspiciously, he left his job without notice right after her body was found. And then apparently left the Rochester area entirely. Left it so quickly that investigators uh, weren't able to uh, get you know get him in for questioning. Didn't even take his belongings with him when he left. Left town that fast. Uh, you know, and, and I guess there wasn't quite enough evidence to dictate you know having him arrested and extradited and brought back from another state. So he was he was never questioned about the alphabet murders. So so many think that he did it. Many think that James Barber could have killed all three girls. But Uncle Stepdad, Fire Marshal Rapey, uh, Sodomy Barber aren't the only three complete creeps to be strong suspects in the killings of these three innocent young girls. And this, this suspect list is the most disturbing part of this whole thing to me. Just how many dirtbags are in this story. So much crime in this suck. Uh, dirt, dirtbag number four is the fucking dirtiest of the dirtbags we've, we've discussed now. Uh, just dirt on dirt on dirt. Uh, this is one half of the Hillside Stranglers, convicted serial rapist and killer Kenneth uh, Bianchi who I mentioned earlier in the show. Uh, Kenneth Alessio Bianchi uh, was born to a young alcoholic single mother prostitute in Rochester on May 22nd, 1951. So by Rochester standards, he is born into a stable upper middle class household. Uh, As an infant, he should have been drowned. I think we can all agree on that now. Unfortunately, no one was uh, brave enough at the time to do what was clearly necessary. Instead, sadly, he was raised to adulthood. He was adopted by Francis and Nicholas uh, Bianchi, raised in Rochester, attended Holy Family Catholic School, and then his adoptive mother divulged the fact that his real mother had been a prostitute to him at some point early in his adolescence, and he didn't take it well. Uh, this disclosure may have been a defining moment in his life. He, he grappled with his uh, early impression of females, hating his mom uh, um, you know, for what she had been, what she had done with her life. And apparently didn't get along with his adoptive mom that well and, and, and hated her, also hated her for telling him about his original mom. Uh, his father, Francis, would later reveal that Ken had a terrible temper, temper as a child and was a compulsive liar to boot. So I told you, should have drowned him. But, you know, some people some people are weirdly uh, lacking in conviction about stuff like that. I think, you know, in the, in the politically correct kind of snowflakey world we live in, a lot of people are just weird about drowning babies. They're just like, I don't know, but what if it's not a bad baby? I'm like, why take a chance? And I'm kidding, of course. Don't don't fucking drown any babies. I probably took that a little farther than I should have. Right after graduating from Gates Chili High School in June 1970, uh, Bianchi gets married, but then his young wife walks out on him without explanation eight months later, seeking an annulment. This may have added to his loathing of women. It happened shortly before Carmen Colon was abducted and murdered. You know, based on who this guy became later, maybe she left him because he was a complete fucking psychotic, sexually deviant creep. I feel like a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of times crime authors try to point at moments like this as the reason people become murderous or rapey later on. Like they get, they get rejected by an early lover and they take out the rage they feel because of this rejection out on other women. Uh, that's the narrative strongly associated, you know, with uh, Ted Bundy and other infamous killers. But but what if these early women just happened to see these creeps for who they already were? Like that, they, they were going to do that either way and they were just smart enough to get out before they became a victim. Um, you know, like what, what if they just sensed it? Like a, like a gazelle senses a lion nearby and they just bolted. Uh, Bianchi attended Monroe Community College after his young bride flees for life, takes courses in psychology and police science, but drops out after one semester, uh, and then applies for a job at the Monroe County Sheriff's Office and gets rejected. You know, I'm just, ah, sorry, buddy. Uh, we're actually trying to catch and lock up a uh, weird, creepy woman haters, uh, not hiring them. We're not, we're not hiring them right now. So best of luck. Uh, Bianchi was repeatedly rebuffed when he applied for police work several times in Rochester. Finally settles for the only thing he could get with limited educational background in police work, a job as a security guard in a local jewelry store. That's when he began to steal jewelry and change his jobs now repeatedly to avoid being accused of petty theft. 
About the same time, Bianchi wrote to a lady friend that he had killed someone. Uh, she thought he was making it up, uh, trying to, quote, sound like a tough guy to impress her. <laughs> That's a weird thing to assume. So you didn't find it alarming that he told you he had killed someone. No, no, not at all. Um, guys tell me they've killed people all the time. Uh, or, you know, like they've raped somebody or abducted somebody or that they've sexually tortured somebody. Um, sometimes they'll say that they're going to torture or rape or kill me if I'm not like nicer to them and won't go on like dates. And it doesn't even bother me. I just, I try and take it all as a compliment. You know, they're, I think they're just flirting. They're just trying to be sexy. You know, my mom always said that when a man tells you uh, he's killed somebody or that he's willing to kill you, that's when you know he loves you. A uh, few jobs Bianchi held while still in Rochester in the early 1970s make him suspicious when it comes to the alphabet murders. The first job was as a soda jerk. Uh, autopsies in all three victims of double initial murders, you know, revealed they'd eaten shortly before their deaths. The other job was an ambulance driver. Right? Carmen Michelle Wanda would be more likely to trust an ambulance driver probably than some just uh, other kind of random stranger and go somewhere with them. Also, Bianchi had no criminal record at the time of their abduction, so he was flying under the radar of local law enforcement when the investigations began. And then in late 1975, roughly two years after the alphabet murders, uh, the 26-year-old Bianchi packs up, leaves Rochester, heads for Los Angeles in his large, used two-tone Cadillac. Cadillac that was dark on the bottom, white on top. There was a, you know, that kind of color difference did come up when, uh, with one of the witnesses uh, when they were talking about one of the, the car that Carmen was seen running from. And then once Bianchi got to California, he'd become known as one of the Hillside Stranglers when he and his cousin, uh, uh, Angelo Buono, Kidnapped, raped, tortured, and murdered 10 women and girls between the ages of 12 and 28. So it's not like he wasn't, you know, it's not like he was above going after kids. And that all happened uh, between October 1977 and February 1978. And then he fled to Washington State, committed two additional rape and murders of uh, Western Washington University students up around Bellingham, January 1979, before getting caught. His modus operandi was uh, to use fake, a fake badge, right, to lure women into his car, making them think he was an undercover police officer, and he'd sexually torture women before strangling them and dumping their bodies. I'll save additional detail, details for a future crime, uh, true crime suck on the Hillside Stranglers. If there's enough interest in that topic, wink, wink, space lizards. Hold it up. Uh, Wanda, Carmen, and Michelle were also rape strangled. You know, of course, their bodies were dumped. So a lot of similarities in the crime. Uh, and someone pretending to be an officer, again, could have lured them into uh, their vehicle. Pretty disturbing, man. Pretty disturbing. Again, just how many dirtbags were meeting surrounding these murders. And we're still not done. Got one more dirtbag to meet, a dirtbag uh, just as filthy as Kenneth, Kenneth Bianchi. Uh, and we'll hop back into one more small little timeline uh, of his victims, victims who also share the same pattern of double initials right after a word from today's final sponsor. Today's Time Suck is brought to you by the Rochester, New York Board of Tourism. Uh, hey, Meat Sacks, uh, today's Rochester has a lot more going on than just murder and rape. In fact, I want you to know that Rochester's new official city slogan is Come to Rochester. You're probably not even going to get raped or murdered. We're different now. Uh, there's beautiful Lake Ontario. For starters, it's one of the Great Lakes. So you know it's great. It's, it's in the name. And, uh, and you can even sometimes swim in it. You know, you can hop in at Durand Eastman Beach. You can jump in the water at Char Charlotte Beach at Ontario Beach Park. But don't do that right now. Because right now, uh, the water is extremely toxic. Uh, you got to check with city officials before you swim. Because both beaches are almost always closed. Uh, due to either uh, horrible weather or extremely, extremely harmful bacteria in the water, uh, and you can die from those infections. But who cares? Who cares? Even fuck, forget about. It. Hey, there's so much more to Rochester, New York. You can also visit the headquarters of Wegmans, and that's a pretty nice grocery store. There's a regional chain of grocery stores, and the headquarters is in Rochester. That's not that's not nothing, you know. And uh, listen, and hey, 
from what I can tell, almost no one, almost no one gets raped or killed at a Wegmans grocery store. Very low odds. And these are, these are, listen, these are just a few examples of really fun things to do in Rochester. So, so come to Rochester, but not, not now. Uh, please don't visit between like October and May when it is super dark and shitty and just desolate and super depressing. And there's so much crime and it's just kind of scary and not fun. Uh, but anyway, Rochester, not as rapey as it used to be. And that, of course, uh, is not today's sponsor. God, I hope I get some angry emails from Rochester, though. Um, <laughs> today's Time Suck is brought to you by Robinhood. Oh, man. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, cryptos. That's right. And cryptocurrency like Bitcoin. And you can do it all commission free. Even if you are a stock market newcomer, you can invest for the first time with true confidence with Robinhood. They got a great app uh, with other brokerages. Uh, you know, you get charged for up to like 10 bucks a trade. Robinhood doesn't charge commission fees like at all. Zero commission fees, which means you can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. That's what I do. Uh, I love no fees. No fees, as it turns out with my limited math skills, does appear to be mathematically better than uh, other amounts of fees. True story. Look at fact check it. Uh, and with the clear design, easy to understand charts and market data, Robinhood lets you place a trade on your smartphone in just four taps. Four taps. Plus, you can discover new stocks, track favorite companies with a personalized news feed. Uh, I love how easy this thing is to use. I like how, like, when I open the app, first thing I see is a total value of my stock portfolio. Uh, then I see it updated in real time with one additional tap. I know how much buying power I have if I want to keep all my investments but buy a few more. It's very well designed. Easy to link with an account to, uh, to transfer funds, crisp colors, easy to read fonts, very intuitive and straightforward. And check this out. Robinhood is giving time suckers a free stock. You can get a stock from Apple, Ford, Sprint, build up that portfolio. Uh, sign up at timesuck.robinhood.com. That's timesuck.robinhood.com. Link in the episode description. Also, you can just push the button on the TimeSuck app. Yeah. Uh, and now, uh, time for one last little time suck timeline to take a quick look at some California killings that may be related to the alphabet murders of upstate New York around the area of Rochester, which again is a little bit better than how horrible it was before. Strap on those boots, soldier. We're marching down a time suck timeline. January 10th, 1977, police in Fairfax, California, receive an anonymous call. The tipster says uh, they've just stumbled across a body. Officers find the body of 18-year-old uh, Roxine Ragesh, a petite, freckled redhead, buried face down in some desert brush. She was found wearing pantyhose inside out. Another pair of pantyhose was around her neck. Third pair was in her mouth. Fourth pair wrapped around her mouth. Her feet were bound, and she had been strangled. Ah, that's the first. That's the first. There's those uh, RR double initials. They're back. And then across San Pablo Bay, August 13th, 1978, a California Highway Patrol officer patrolling the remote uh, uh, Carquinez, Carquinez, there we go, Carquinez, a scenic highway near Crockett found the decomposing corpse of 22-year-old Carmen Cologne on a pile of garbage below a turnout. How crazy is that? The same name, Carmen Cologne. The body was found just 30 miles from where Roxine's body was found. Uh, naked, uh, again, strangled again. Um, yeah, so that's uh, CC. So we got uh, we got two of these. Thirty uh, on September fifteenth, nineteen ninety three. Jump way ahead. Thirty eight year old waitress and on and off again. Uh, prostitute Pamela Parsons, PP, goes missing. 
Uh, yeah, on September 19th, just four days later, a body's found by two men walking their dogs off of Simpson D'Antoni Road in Linda, California. Uh, it was the body of Parsons. One of the dog walkers was Tony Luis, who later recalled in court that he'd been walking his dog when he noticed another man walking his dog who looked shook up. He asked him, what's the matter, fella? The guy says, my dog just found a dead person over there in the willows. He continued, I walked over there and she was laying on her back, arms crossed in front of her. And that was the body of Pamela. It was soon determined that Parsons had also been strangled to death. The killing was not connected with the first two because it had been found so many years later and over 120 miles away. August of 1994, 31-year-old Marysville resident Tracy Tafoya, mother of five young children, vanishes. Tracy Tafoya, TT. She was last seen alive on August 5th. It's believed that she was murdered on August 6th. Tracy had been struggling with addiction, was occasionally working the streets as a prostitute as well. Uh, all four uh, of these uh, these victims had been uh, prostitutes, at least off and on. Uh, Paperboy found her body in a drainage ditch beside an unkept cemetery on the uh, side of Highway 70 near, uh, near Marysville Cemetery on August 14th. She'd also been strangled. And uh, and there's someone who just keeps, I, 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 I've been hearing them kind of come into the building a little bit here and there, just kind of just faintly. And, and they just can't take uh, hearing about all these uh, vulnerable women, these women, you know, uh, working the streets, being harmed. Uh, Chicken Joe, Chicken Joe, come on in here. I know you want to talk. Get, get in here. Ba-ba, playboy. Ba-ba. One man saying they can plot working girls on the street. Uh, lies don't matter because they're a sexy piece of meat. When we going to suck on a killer when he chokes out John? Uh, someone hunt the bucks, not just does and fawns. Time someone put down a lion, not the lamb. I'd like to get that lion back in my pimp hand. Sex and violence don't make no sense. Sex supposed to clear your head, and I'll make the mind more tense. You feel me? You dig? You hear my two cents? Bye-bye, playboy. Bye-bye. Ah, Chicken Joe, for those of you who uh, who haven't heard of him uh, before, maybe your new new listener, uh, maybe maybe some of you have trouble understanding the knowledge dropped from time to time by our strange early 1970s uh, Houston area pimp. Uh, Chicken Joe just said that he's sick of hearing about men killing prostitutes, and he would like to hear about a killer who goes after the men who hire prostitutes instead. He'd understand also the association between sex and violence, right? Sex and theory should relax you, not infuriate you. He's he's an unexpected social justice warrior, that Chicken Joe. Who would have who would have guessed? Uh, so we got Roxine, Ragesh, Carmen Cologne, Pamela Parsons, Tracy Tafoya, four more dead females, four more sets of double initials, and then a killer is captured with strong ties to Buffalo, New York, site of, of course, the initial alphabet murders. Let's jump way ahead again to April 11, 2011. 77-year-old Joseph Nasso is arrested in Black Springs, Nevada, suburb of Reno, after a home inspection related to a recent theft arrest that violated his probation, uh, turns up some super disturbing shit. Uh, Joe Nasso, known as Crazy Joe to uh, to anybody uh, who, who really knew him at all, uh, had a long history of running with, with the law. He had bounced around in San Francisco, Yuba City, Sacramento, Oakland, El Cerrito during the 90s, racking up numerous convictions, uh, mostly for shoplifting and petty theft. Uh, he'd been caught shoplifting 30 pairs of women's underpants uh, from an Oakland department store, 30 pairs of panties taken from a store in 1995. He'd been arrested for a probation violation and spent a year in prison prior to uh, uh, just prior to August 11th, like he just got out of prison. Uh, he, he lived in Black Springs with his legally incapacitated son who suffered from schizophrenia, who we maintain custodial guardianship of. Uh, NASA was born in uh, Rochester, New York, January 7th, 1934. He'd met his first wife, Judith, there in the early 1950s, and they were married for 18 years. After their divorce, 
Uh, even though he, he took off to California, he continued to visit his ex-wife and other family in the Rochester area in the 70s uh, while he was mainly working in the Bay Area as a freelance photographer. And, uh, and, and now let's talk about why he gets arrested for the murders of the California double initial murder victims. So on August 11th, this is how he gets arrested. 2011, Reno police officer Wesley Jackson assigned to check on Nasso, uh, uh, stopped at his home, a modest white bungalow in a dead end street, cracked by the Nevada desert. Uh, even without a warrant, Jackson was free to rifle through the house on the outer reaches of Reno at any time he chose. Jackson went through the routine of saying he was there to do a search under the terms of Nassau's probation for theft from a grocery store. And then when the officer, uh, Officer Jackson, stepped into Nassau's home, one of the first things he notices is a, is a pair of mannequin legs turned upside down that had been fitted with nylon stockings. Nothing weird. Nothing creepy. Nothing blatant serial killery. Just a mannequin, uh, mannequin's legs, uh, you know, not even a whole mannequin, just mannequin's legs wearing some thigh-high stockings, probably probably a garter belt. Uh, Nassau told the officer that uh, he had stockings on the doll because he wore women's nylon stockings because he, he had a skin condition on his leg. And so he just, it was handy to kind of keep them on the doll's legs so he could just take them up and have them on his legs. But then the officer notices that he's not wearing nylons. Uh, he's wearing socks. That's, that's a weird thing to lie about. Uh, so uh, a search of Nassau's bedroom turns up Piles of pictures, disturbing pictures of uh, naked women dressed only in stockings and high heels, uh, doing in some creepy situations. You know, initially the pictures he first saw were just you know naked pictures, and I guess in that situation, whatever he's old, you know, he doesn't have, he doesn't know how the internet works. He, he can't find porn there. Nothing too inherently disturbing, I guess. Uh, other than one would hope of uh, you know, if, like if he was your seventy-seven year old grandpa, you know, you'd hope he'd uh, do a do a better job of hiding his jerk off stash. Uh, what was very, very creepy about these pictures uh, once he started digging through them was that some of these women looked unconscious. Some of them looked dead. Uh, after being arrested, NASA would later say the photos were taken at a time when, quote, men were women, or no, sorry, no, sorry, that's a very different quote. Men were men and women were men, women. Men were men and women were women. It's just a weird thing to say. And, and he says this to defend these pictures of unconscious and dead-looking women. What? Like, I don't even, like... How, how do you think in your head that those words coming out of your mouth make anything makes like make, make sense at any level? Like, how do you think that's not a super creepy fucking thing to say? You know, if a police officer is like, hey, why, why do you have so many pictures of naked women who look like they're dead? Let, okay, oh, okay, young fella. Hold on. Those pictures were taken, uh, you know, uh, back in back when the men were men and the women were women. But listen, listen, back in my day, uh, women knew how to be dead. Uh, back in the good old days, uh, men knew how to take pictures of naked women, and women knew how to be naked and dead. Uh, what the fuck? Classic Crazy Joe. That's just that's just Crazy Joe being crazy. And then things get even creepier. In the midst of a pile of naked photos, laid on laid a single sheet of paper with a handwritten list of numbers up to ten. Next to each number was the word "girl" or "lady" in a location, perhaps location of a body. Uh, Nashville told Officer Jackson, "These these are just old girlfriends. Ah, those are just old girlfriends. Those are those are just uh, some models from some previous photo shoots." Uh, and then hundreds more pictures of naked women, uh, you know, are, are found, you know, aged 20 to 80, uh, laying about uh, what he called his art studio. Um, another group of photos is found in the living room. Some of the women uh, appear to be posed willingly. Some appear to be, again, knocked out or worse. Uh, some are bound up with cords. Uh, one picture showed a man whose face was turned away from the camera, appearing to have sex with an unconscious woman. Uh, Jackson spotted, uh, uh, Officer Jackson spotted boxes of bullets near a dresser. And that was enough to arrest Nassau for a breach of probation. And then he continued to search for what he assumed was a weapon hidden somewhere in the house. 
Uh, days later, the police do find a stash of guns, uh, and then they like then they start really picking uh, his whole house apart. Um, one of them finds this aluminum clipboard on the dining room table under a bunch of uh, piles of shit. Leafs through it, increasingly shocked. Uh, the entries on this clipboard amount to a journal of terror. Uh, one of the entries said, "Girl in North Buffalo Woods. She was real pretty. Front seat of my car. Had to knock her out first. 1958." Uh, another recorded about the same time said, Selena, Kansas girl. I followed and met at Fred Astaire dance studio. She was gorgeous. Great legs and nylons heels had to rape her in my car on a cold wintry night. Snowstorm. What a piece of shit. And the, the had to, uh-huh. Uh, page after page of what police would come to call the rape diary or rape journal. Um, you know, there's just page after page filled with similar records of his assaults on women, uh, this 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 has become a, a central part of the case against him. But there was more. The search turns up a se- separate stash of notebooks uh, written years later. If anything, uh, these are even more horrific with more graphic descriptions of bondage, torture, murder. A lot of these haven't been totally uh, released to the public. Uh, some were apparently accounts of past crimes. Others read Moore's instruction manuals for the uh, pl- of prolonged deaths of uh, individually named women yet to be captured. Uh, his house held another secret. At one end was a room with a bolt on the door that could only be opened from the outside. In the middle of the door was a small flap, kind of like you'd find on a prison cell where people could, you know, slide uh, food in and out. The window was the only uh, window in the house that had been fitted with metal bars, so kind of echoes of the toy box killer here. And it's the uh, it's the rape journal that would lead investigators to the deaths uh, and help them, you know, convict him in the deaths of, of Roxine, Ragesh, Carmen, Cologne, Pamela Parsons, and Tracy Tafoya. Uh, on August 20th, 2013, Nassau uh, would be convicted by a Marin County jury of these four murders and sentenced to death. It's very likely he killed at least six other women. Uh, the judge during his sentencing called him an evil and disturbed man and said the evidence that proved uh, the evidence proved that he inflicted abhorrent and repugnant levels of suffering and cruelty on victims and humiliated them even more by meticulously documenting the crimes in his diaries and photographs. The judge also added, you being in this world has made this world a worse place. Well said. Uh, another one should have, should have put him down. Should have, should have looked at him hard as a baby. I and again, I am, I am kidding. You know, I'm going to stop with that because I don't want one fucking lunatic to be like, I get it. I get what he's trying to say. My kids been looking at me weird. I got to stop this now. No, no, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't drown babies. Um, NASA insisted that the prosecution had not proven its case and that the DNA evidence was planted, uh, that he was the victim of media bias. Also said like the true narcissistic sociopath he is, uh, this was like a hate crime against me. And then he flipped off the courtroom before being led away. Uh, now let's bounce out of this timeline and talk about the, uh, the, the some, some creepy ass shit that this guy said uh, during his trial. Good job, soldier. You made it back. Barely. Uh, crazy Joe would represent himself at his trial like a crazy person does. Uh, and when you read about his opening defense, you, you quickly realize, of, of course, this is not a good plan. Uh, he opens it saying, this case is about me, my life. I am not the monster that killed these women. I don't do that. I date, I dance, but I don't kill people. What a, why, what a weird, why does he throw dance in there? I don't, I don't kill. Do I date? Of course I do. I'm a ladies man. Uh, I'm a Don Juan, if you will. Uh, by, by the way, uh, he looks like an older, sleazier, creepier, and somehow even more unattractive version of uh, porn star, former porn star Ron Jeremy. Well, I've seen him in, in person a few times. And, whoa, Ron Jeremy is uh, ah, creepy, creepy looking dude. Like, and this dude looks creepier than him. 
Uh, he says, <laughs> why are you saying I date? I dance. I don't kill people. Do I kill? No. But do I dance? You bet your sweet ass I dance. I dance like no one's watching. And it's important uh, that no one's watching because I kill a lot of people uh, that I dance with. Uh, wait, uh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. That's not what I, let, let, let me look at my notes again. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, no, Nassau felt he could represent himself because he had taken, I'm not, I'm not making this up. He felt he could represent himself because he had taken one course in a business law class in college decades earlier and, quote, did well. What a fucking moron. I love it when people do stuff like this. When they just learn a little bit about something and then suddenly think they're an expert. You know? I'm not going to pay some doctor oh, thousands and thousands of dollars. Some asshole just because he, oh, you went to school for almost 10 years? Listen, I went to school too. I got a B plus biology class sophomore year, high school. Okay? I'll figure out how to treat my own cancer, thanks. Probably just need to take more vitamin C. You ain't taking my money. Uh, NASA referred to the prosecution's opening statements as character assassination. Saying, I want to tell you about myself who I really am. The prosecution doesn't even have circumstantial evidence. Uh, he says, he says in, re- in regard to the four women being prostitutes, he says, I have no issue with prostitutes. I have a high regard for prostitutes. There may be prostitutes in this courtroom. Uh, I love it. His defense just keeps getting better. I love prostitutes. Look, a lot of women uh, get paid for sex. There's nothing wrong with that. I, I'm assuming several of you here uh, get paid for sex. I'm assuming several jury members are, are you know, giving blowjobs on the side for, for money in cheap hotel rooms. Uh, several of you do have that look about you, and I think I'm fine with that. Uh, you know, I, I mean, really, as soon as this sham of a trial is over, uh, I'm going to throw the judge twenty bucks for uh, for a blowy, you know, uh, back behind the parking lot. It's okay, no judgment, no no judgment. Uh, NASA also claimed that the DNA conclusively linked him to DNA found on uh, on Rogers' pantyhose was not his. He said he said that the DNA found there, you know, even though they said it was his, it's not his. He said that's just a theory that it's his DNA. Listen, you listen, you guys. Look, listen. This is important. I took a business law class in college in 1957. Was my DNA found on the crime scene? Uh, were my fingerprints left all over and around the victims? Is there closed uh, camera footage of me killing the victim? Is there several eyewitnesses? Is there video of me signing a courtroom confession saying I did all of this? I mean, yeah, those are some theories. Those are some theories. There's also the theory that uh, that I just walk on out of here and get back to putting nylons on mannequin legs. You know, maybe that's the right thing to do if you think about it. Uh, NASA only admitted to knowing Pamela Parsons, who modeled uh, for him once, uh, saying, I'm sorry about her demise, but I didn't do it. Uh, and then he says he picked her up on the side of the road, took her to his house and said that she offered sex, but uh, he, he didn't take her up on that. He just took glamour pictures. List, listen, did she want to do me? Yeah. Of course she did. Look at me. If I could split myself into two people, I wouldn't get anything done because I'd constantly be fucking myself because how could I not, you know? If like one half of me was some some hot broad, some sex pot dame, I'd be just doing me nonstop, you know? There are laws in nature. Just like a lion feels compelled to kill a gazelle, all women feel compelled to bone the nasso. But being the gentleman I am, being the, being the dancer, having the dancer's heart that I do, uh, you know, I just said, listen, lady, I'm not here to bone you. I'm not, I'm not here to give you the NASO special. I'm not here to take you to carnal heaven. Okay. I just want to take some classy ass pictures of you looking scared while you're naked. Like, like a dancer would do. Uh, he said that she was alive when she came in and alive when she left. Uh, he also admitted to, uh, two sexual incidents 
1958, when he was charged with second-degree assault and sentenced to probation, another 1961, uh, where the charges were dropped due to lack of evidence. He said, he said these are the only two bad dates he'd ever had. Like, you went, look, you win some, you lose some. Some women know how to enjoy a nice evening out on a date. Some women don't like being raped. And look, I, I don't let it get to me. I just, I just dance. I just dance all that negativity away. You don't run a ride on the Nassau train. I'll just dance it off. I'll just dance it off. Do you like, do you like rape? No? Okay, that's okay. I'll just dance away. Hey, how do you like getting choked? You don't, you don't care for it? Ah, okay. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, you know, dance. I'm just gonna shuffle on back. I'm just gonna foxtrot back. Do you like being choked in a ditch? Oh, you don't care for it? That's okay. I'm just gonna poke away over. Fucking crazy motherfucker. Uh, he said, uh, that what the prosecution called his rape journal was not proof of any crime. Listen to this guy. He says, uh, when, when regarding the journal entries where he specifically uses the word rape, where he specifically says he's, he raped this person, raped that person, he goes, this, this is not me this time. This is one of his quotes. He says, that's the way I talk. I have brain sex. When I say I picked up a nice broad and raped her, it has nothing to do with forcible rape. I've never had any complaints with any of my dates except for the two. <laughs> Jesus. No one talks like that except for rapists. How, hey, man, how was your date last night? Not bad. I uh, went out to Pache, had a good stay, a couple glasses of wine. Uh, and that's when I took her back to my place and raped her. You know, she, she was into it. She, she consented. She was like, yeah, 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 just go ahead and rape me. She was nice broad. Uh, Nassau uh, closed out his opening by spending three hours talking about his passion and talent for photography. Three hours talking about how good he was at being a photographer. I was surprised he didn't kill a few of the jurors that day by, just, by pushing them towards suicide with his crazy-ass opening statement. Uh, police ended up seizing roughly 5,000 disturbing photos, by the way. Uh, none of them, though, featured pictures of the girls from Rochester, the alphabet murder girls. Uh, no rape journal entries matched, specifically uh, the murder of those girls. The closest was that one I said earlier, a girl in North Buffalo Woods. She was real pretty. Had to knock her out first. But that was obviously That was back in the 50s, way before the early 70s. Uh, and also DNA evidence cleared him as a suspect in the Rochester murders, just like it, it, it cleared that rapey fire, firefighter. Uh, damn it. Yeah. Would have been nice to have some closure on these killings. Uh, and then Nassau remains on death row today. And like I said earlier, he'll, you know, with his age and with California's current kind of, uh, moratorium on the death penalty, uh, he's probably going to die of natural causes, which is, which is a bummer. Uh, okay. So, so what disturbed me the most about today's tale was the number of suspects. So many dirtbags surrounding these killings and made me think how many dirtbags are out there? Like what are the stats? Let's look at some of these numbers, terrifying numbers. According to the National Sexual Violence Resource Center, a large nonprofit dedicated to uh, providing information and tools to prevent uh, and respond to sexual violence. Uh, here are these stats. One in five women, one in 71 men will be raped at some point during their lifetime. These are U.S. stats, United States stats. Uh, 91% of victims of rape and sexual assault are female. 9% are male. In eight out of 10 cases of rape, the victim knew the perpetrator. One in four girls, one in six boys will be sexually abused before they turn 18. Uh, 30% of women who have been raped were raped between the ages of 11 and 17. More than one-third of women who report being raped before age 18 are again raped as adults. 96% of people who sexually abuse children are male. 76.8% of people who sexually abuse children are adults. Ah, man, no, sympathy. A, a dude, and a, a grown-ass man... Doing that to kids, man, fuck you. Uh, only 12% of child sexual abuse is ever reported to authorities. 
34% of people who sexually abuse a child are family members of the child. Uh, rape is the most underreported violent crime. 63% of sexual assaults are not reported to police. The prevalence of false reporting is low, between 2% and 10%. For example, a study of eight U.S. communities, which included 2,059 cases of sexual assault, found only a 7.1% rate of false reports. Uh, here's some more stats from a different organization, RAIN, the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. Since 1998, it's estimated that over 17,700,000 women have been raped in the U.S. alone. And then sadly, 99% of perpetrators walk free. And remember with this, this stat, uh, that, that's based largely on how many of the crimes are estimated to be not, not reported. You know, uh, So it's estimated that 99% of people who, uh, who rape, not 90% of people who are charged with rape but that 99% of people who believe to have raped somebody end up just walking free, you know? Uh, 13% of female rape survivors will attempt suicide. All these numbers make you wonder how many rapists are out there. That's what they make me wonder. Uh, how many rapists are out there w- walking around? Some studies I found suggest that between one in seven uh, or and one in 16 U.S. men have raped at least one person. That's including, of course, acquaintance rape. is all, all forms of rape, which is really only one form of rape. Uh, that's somewhere between 6.5 and almost 15%. And look, other studies will reveal different results, I'm sure. Maybe the real numbers are higher or lower or whatever. I, I, I just know that an alarming number of women I have dated, who I have known personally, have confided in me over my adult life that they have been raped. One was raped as a child uh, when she was kidnapped and raped by a stranger at a park. Others uh, raped by strangers as well. Numerous accounts. These are all told to me of acquaintance rape. Uh, what the fuck? It's such an avoidable crime. Don't put your dick where it's not wanted. How hard is that to understand? It's not. I, I've said it before. I'll, I'll say it again. Suck. Just jerk off. Just jerk off, you rapey, creepy fuck. Jerk off. Reevaluate your life if you're thinking about rape. And if you're not sure, you just don't put it in. And, and, and don't act. I hate that argument of like, oh, things got heated. You know, they just felt like you couldn't stop. That bullshit. Things never get so heavy you just can't stop. You think you truly can't control yourself, uh, you know, when things get sexually heated, you literally can't stop. Well, congratulations. That's how a rapist thinks. You're a rapist. Look in the mirror. Deal with that, you scumbag. You can stop. Blue balls. That's not the worst thing in the world, right? It actually just makes you come that much harder next time around. I mean, learn some dick control. Violence against women, man. Sexual violence against women. Young girls, disgustingly common. And I know men and boys get raped too, but this suck is not about that. If, so, if you're someone who hurts kids, sexually hurts kids, man, throw yourself off a fucking cliff. Uh, you suffer from a disease that can't be cured. It destroys other people's lives. You know, I feel bad that you got some, but I, you know, if if uh, if you're never going to be able to control yourself, I don't know, just throw yourself off of something high, you know, or mo- at least move away from kids. Don't go to functions where kids are present. Leave places where kids show up. Just stay the fuck away from kids. Stay away from me. I have no use from you. Uh, the Time Suck community is welcoming, uh, you know, to an extremely diverse group of people, but but not child predators. You know, like whoever killed those poor alphabet murder girls. You will never be welcome in any place I have anything to do with. Gah, my tolerance has limits, man. Tolerance should have limits. It's time for top five takeaways. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Number one. Between November 16th, 1971, April 2nd, 1973, three young girls are raped and strangled in the area around Rochester, New York. Uh, be sure and visit Rochester. It's, it's way less, uh, there's way less of that going on now up here. Carmen Cologne, Michelle Mayanza, Wanda uh, 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 Vakovich. Uh, these killings are also known as the double initial murders. Lots of suspects. No one's been caught. Number two, between 1997, uh, excuse, excuse me, uh, uh, 1977 and 1994, four additional victims with matched initials are killed. Uh, this time in California. 
It's time all adults, uh, Roxine, Ragish, uh, Carmen uh, Cologne, Pamela Parsons, Tracy Tafoya, uh, Joseph, Crazy Joe Nasso convicted in all those killings. Number three, uh, there are several suspects in original alphabet killings, one of them being uh, convicted serial killer Kenneth Bianchi, one of the infamous Hillside Stranglers, when he and his cousin, uh, you know, Angelo Buono, kidnapped, raped, tortured, murdered 10 women and girls between the ages of 12 and 28 between October 1977, February 78. And then he fled to Washington State, committed two additional rape murders before finally getting caught. Uh, and, then, you know, he lived and worked in the Rochester area during the time of the initial murders and bounced to California. Number four, according to a variety of uh, statistics, roughly one in five women will be raped in the United States at some point during their lifetime. No means no, motherfucker. You know, control yourself. Uh, learn a little bit of a, uh, here, I'll recommend this. It's a, just a, it's just a dick slap technique. If, if you're getting too worked up, you just, you, you slap, you slap the head of your dick. I'm not even joking. Uh, I mean, you don't want to like, like punch it, you know, to like break something, but give it a nice whop. It's not going to really hurt anything. It's going to be painful enough to completely distract you from any and all sexuality. Uh, you can use it hopefully as a, as a I'm not going to rape tank. Hopefully use it as like uh, I don't want to come so fast technique, but you can also use it, uh, you know, to not, to not be rapey. And uh, maybe, maybe maybe I thought of that. Maybe it was told to me by a special guest today. Bob, Bob, Playboy. Uh, number five, new info. While Joseph Nassau was convicted of four double initial killings, there was enough uh, evidence in two other murders to allow Prosecutor Deputy District Attorney Dory Ahana to bring up these other killings at his sentencing hearing. So he wasn't convicted. There's misleading information on the internet. Some places like Wikipedia say he was convicted of these other. He was not. He was convicted of four, but there are uh, two other murders that were brought up. One was Sarah Dillon, a Bob Dillon groupie, uh, uh, last seen on her way to a Dillon concert at the Warfield Theater in San Francisco in May 1992. She was born Renee Shapiro, but became got so into Dillon, she changed uh, her name to the name of his former wife. And investigators found Shapiro's driver's license and passport in Nassau's safety deposit box, along with newspaper obituaries of two other uh, victims of his. So that's obviously very suspicious. Also, the body of Shariah Patton, 56, washed ashore near the Naval Net Depot in Tiburon, California in 1981. At the time of her death, she was in the Bay Area looking for work, and Nassau managed the apartment where she lived. He also took photos of her. The photos of her were found in his treasure trove of creepy photos. And, uh, and he was also considered the prime suspect in her murder by police way back in 1991, but there just wasn't enough evidence to charge him, uh, you know, with her death. Also, I just thought this was uh, added to the, the creepiness of this dude. At his sentencing, uh, Nassau's ex-wife uh, testified that she believes she was sexually assaulted by two men in a hotel room after Nassau uh, basically roofied her uh, in a San Francisco nightclub in the summer of 1976, you know, which was when, when the, the first of these killings, just before the first of these killings happened, which I think is significant. Uh, totally blacked out, found myself in a different place. I believe I was drugged. She said, she said she was depressed at the time and, uh, and had two drinks at the nightclub. Next thing she knew two men who, who uh, were wearing clothing were lying on top of her in her bed in a hotel. Um, she, she felt strongly that she had just been, uh, sexually assaulted. And she said that her husband was sitting by the bed, watching her very intensely. Two men then ran away when she woke up and she said, I was fuzzy and confused. I believe they were having sex with me. She confronted NASA when they got home. And uh, he said he thought it would cheer me up, but it didn't. Is, is he a psychotic sexual sadist or just doesn't understand how life works? There's so many weird moments uh, during his trial. It's just, you know, like he's just very confused. Just I, Look, I don't get it. I don't get, I don't get these bras. I tried to show my wife a nice time. I took her out for drinks. And then out of the goodness of my heart, 
I got her some side action. She'd been tense. I, I roofed her a little bit to relax her. And I let a couple nice fellas I'd met at the bar have their way with her. And then uh, when she wakes up, somehow I'm the asshole. <laughs> Where did that come from? I don't even get it. I mean, if my lady got me blackout drunk and I woke up with two strange ladies on top of me, I would be ecstatic. Uh, only thing better than that is a sexy-ass uh, pair of mannequin legs and some stockings. Now, can you guys just let me go home uh, now or what? I mean, am I, am I going to be sent to prison for being overly thoughtful? Time suck. Top five takeaways. The alphabet murders sucked. Uh, so much crime, so many different crimes, so many different criminal dirtbags. How cre- creepy was Joseph Nassau, man? I just kept thinking, like, uh, also with him, last thing I want to say about him, if he really didn't commit the Rochester area killings, and it, and it looks like he didn't, I wonder, was he at least influenced by the alphabet murders, like darkly inspired in some way? You know, I mean, uh, you know, he didn't kill anybody uh, that we know for sure until after. I mean, although he did have some creepy journal entries, but he could have been just darkly fantasizing those earlier uh, entries. And uh, I don't know, maybe maybe it's, it triggered something in him. I don't know. Okay, I don't know. Could be coincidence, too. I guess it doesn't really matter. Uh, glad he's rotting in prison. Uh, big thanks, as always, to the Time Suck team, the High Priestess of the Suck, Harmony Velikamp, Jesse Guardian of Grammar Dobin, the Reverend Dr. Joe motherfucking Paisley. Uh, Time Suck High... Be sure to check out Moretta again, by the way. Time Suck High Priest Alex Dugan, the guys at Bit Elixir, Danger Brain, Space Lizards, Merch Wizards, Axis Apparel. So proud of all the fun, goofy stuff we have in the store now. Uh, hoodies, windbreakers, t-shirts, challenge coins, beer glasses, tumblers, enamel pins, no, but so much stuff. Uh, huge thank, of course, as always, to Queen of the Suck, Lindsay Cummins, for being the best wife ever. Uh, huge thanks to... Uh, I, I am not... Uh, taking her to a bar ever to do some weird-ass roofy shit with her. Fuck. Creepy. Creepy. Thanks, as always, to Heather Knowledge, Ninja Rylander. Uh, she's been having having a tough, tough, very tough couple weeks. Hope she's uh, doing well. Send, sending her some some love and positive energy. Um, thanks for always kicking ass, Heather. And and, and if you haven't already, uh, get in there and give the Cult of the Curious private Facebook group a try. Over 5,000 time suckers in the private Cult of the Curious group on Facebook. Uh, also, you can try Time Sucks Discord channel for even more engagement uh, with, with additional cult members. Links to both in today's episode description. Uh, next week, we're going hard in the opposite direction of murder, uh, going into the direction of a little, little holiday inspiration, man. In 2014, uh, a United Kingdom UK pub owner named Alex Lewis lost part of his face, all four of his limbs after contracting a devastating staph infection. He damn near died, was given a 3% chance of survival at one point, but he didn't die. And 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 more importantly, he didn't stop living either. He now uh, works as an interior designer. He raises funds for other amputees, learning how to walk with the help of some advanced prosthetics. Uh, he recently underwent six surgeries on his face to give himself a, a set of lips again. And his tail is just a great reminder of how much the human spirit can endure and overcome I just find those type of tales very, very inspiring. When you're feeling low and you're feeling sorry for yourself, these are the kind of tales we listen to them. You're like, you know what? I got to get off my ass and just make some shit happen in my life. I'm going to share this, some other inspirational tales, close out 2018. Uh, also going to do a bit of a year-end review during the last episode as well of the year. Reflect on how far the suck has come. Thanks to you listeners. Thanks entirely to you listeners. Uh, how far it's come in 2018 and uh, share some hopes and dreams for 2019. Up- update you all on how this journey looks like and what it feels like from the inside. And then to kick off 2019, uh, probably going to go dark again. Probably, probably going to go dark again. Probably going to go back to uh, some intense, uh, creepy shit. Uh, Hail Lucifina. And now it's time for Time Sucker Updates. Updates. 
Get your time sucker updates. Starting off talking about inspirational stuff with a beautiful message from uh, from one time sucker about another time sucker. Uh, ask, asking for help on, on behalf of this other sucker. Uh, an anonymous do-gooder. An anonymous good Samaritan. An anonymous good Samaritan. I think is how you're supposed to pronounce it. An anonymous goad Samaritan. Uh, but seriously, she says, she writes in, or he, I don't know. Shh, don't say who I am, please. But I was assigned to be someone's secret Santa and learned, and she shared some stuff uh, with Facebook uh, and as well as with the group. I'll send you the GoFundMe link, mostly because she tells the story best there. She has cancer surgery coming up on the 10th of December. Her name is Becky Lusk. If you could just send her some good vibes from yourself and the crew, leave me out of it because it's not about me. I just thought she'd appreciate some love. Uh, well, yes. And Becky sent an email before. I'm so sorry that that got uh, lost in the shovel by none other than by me. We just we do get a lot of messages. I apologize. I I, I hope your surgery went very, very well. And uh, yes, we're going to put your link to your GoFundMe campaign in today's episode description. I hope you're recovering well. Uh, I hope you're getting ready for good holidays. And, and I hope you're uh, you know getting some help sent your way. So, uh, Becky, sorry I missed, again, that initial email. Uh, now we have a, 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 an Idahoan sucker in need. Uh, Todd Larson writes and say, My name is Todd Larson. I'm an OG space lizard, fellow Idahoan that could use some help. My beautiful wife, 23 years, going through chemotherapy for breast cancer. She is kicking cancer's ass, but the medical bills are kicking mine. I'm not one to usually ask for help, but being part of this awesome community you have built has taught me that there are a lot of people out there that need help. And there are also a shit ton of awesome folks willing to give help at a moment's notice. One of her awesome coworkers made a GoFundMe to help with medical costs. I'm no beggar. I have a full-time job, and my wife Amanda works when the chemo isn't beating her down. Uh, but the cost of staying alive can kill you sometimes. I really appreciate all that you guys do. I fire up time suck on my way home from work. It really helps me from losing my shit on the crappy days. Uh, here is the link. Thanks again for all that you do. Beat that smoothie guy's ass. He whispered to me. Yes. Yes. Uh, also put in the GoFundMe link as well uh, for this GoFundMe campaign in today's episode description. And uh, and with these GoFundMe, I just want to say too, uh, any of you can also just join the private Facebook group and you can post them there to to ask and share your story and see who it resonates with. Um, we get a lot sent into the show and, and, and it just um, some weeks, uh, some weeks they just get lost out of busyness. Just being totally honest, uh, trying to gather and organize and, you know, uh, put these episodes together in, in short time all the time, in a short amount of time all the time. And then sometimes there's just too many that week, but uh, but you can always send them in. Uh, you know, we do try to put them in there, as you know, from time to time. And also you can post them wherever you want on, uh, on our social media, you know, to let people know. And now, and now I thought this was cool, a religious fairness update from Christian author and publisher Paul Spencer. Paul writes, uh, as a sucker, I want to bring up one thing. Um, the primary point of frustration that I have concerning your approach to different topics is how you differ in your opinions on stereotypical religious topics versus abnormal spiritual topics. This is a great point I've never thought of. You have said that you are fascinated by and somewhat convinced by the descriptions of quote-unquote demonic forces, such as the shadow people and the possession of Annalise Michelle. Yeah, I've, I, it's hard. Uh, I struggle with my rational part of my mind on that, but yeah. Something about those two speak to me. But when it comes to Joan of Arc and other positive spiritual experiences, you call those who undergo the experience likely insane. That's fair. That's fair to call me out on that. Uh, I personally don't know what to make of Joan, but in my mind, it seems that her proofs of spiritual experience align with Annalise, Annalise's, telling people things they could not know and whatnot. I generally don't agree with the over-spiritualization of saints, icons, and relics as, pra as practiced in the Catholic tradition, 
But if we're going to be open to some, shouldn't we be open to all? If it may, even if it makes you uncomfortable to support orthodox religious beliefs. Okay. Of course, you did suggest Annalise may have also been insane, and the update suggested that she could have been suffering from schizophrenia and or OCD. You also emphasized the fact that she grew up in a strict Catholic family, as you did with Joan, which certainly would have informed any kind of delusions the girls were having. The problem is that you approached the negative experience of Annalise with skeptical openness, whereas you approached Joan of Arc with mocking disbelief. Ultimately, you leave these things open in your treatments and in the updates, but the approach you take up front is rarely equal and fair. Between the two types of spiritual experiences, the topic of God seems to be scaring you off, but demons attract you intellectually and psychologically. Check yourself. Okay. That's fair. That is fair. Uh, overall, you do a great job with the podcast. I've listened to them uh, from episodes one to 92 so far because I love what you do. Very entertaining and informative. But I won't be, but I wouldn't be an active listener if I didn't take the opportunity to give my two cents. Just some food for thought on how you might approach future topics and the spiritual aspects of life in general. Respectfully, Paul Spencer. Man, thank you, Paul. That was a, a very insightful message. And this is this is my favorite type of thing about the messages in the community. I love being called out in an insightful, intelligent way, and you are a hundred percent correct. Uh, very, very uh, unknowingly hypocritical of me to approach the angle of like demons and the dark side of spirituality with like, yeah, that might be true. But then, but then look at the positive side and be like, fuck, come on, man. Nah, no way. I mean, part of it might be, uh, maybe I don't articulate things enough or maybe like, I don't know if we can define the good aspects of spiritual nature, spiritual nature. But if I'm going to entertain the possibility of a demon, uh, then I got to, I got to entertain the possibility of its uh, positive equivalent, you know, which you could describe as an angel, and that can lead to a whole other, you know, uh, things in the in the spiritual and religious world. So, you know what? I am going to do my best to keep that in mind going forward, and, I, and again, I appreciate that. Uh, now, now we have a, a long term, a long time, another long time sucker, uh, Elias. I never know how to say this word, Elias or Elias. I think Elias, Elias Madera, uh, with a thank you to the suck. Saying, greetings, Sultan the Suck. My name is Eli. There you go. That's easier than when you add to AS. I, I can fucking rock Eli. Unless your name is like Eli. And I'm like, that's unfortunate. You know, you should change the pronunciation. Uh, but you're right. My name is e uh, Eli. And I figured I should I should let you know how much time suck. And really, uh, what, what, what all, all of your comedy means to me. I started listening to Crazy with a capital F on Pandora when I was a depressed 14-year-old. And it really helped to see someone with... <laughs> with as much pent up anger as me, express their wackadoo ideas in an entertaining way. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, inspired me to view myself with less severity and to laugh at myself instead of getting frustrated at my problems. I'm 20 now, and I feel like I've sort of grown up with you. Uh, seeing you grow up uh, into what seems uh, and what I sincerely hope is a healthier, happier person who's inspired a community of odd people who suck on that sweet, sweet knowledge and growth is astonishing. Uh, the way you treat your family and carry yourself uh, serves as to me, is a great example of the kind of man I want to be. Thank you so much for everything you and your, you and your sucking awesome crew are creating. Can't stop the suck. Ah, uh, Elias or Elias, uh, Eli Madera. Man, thank you. I uh, I am very honored that you think that, and I, and I try. I try to be. I know I say a lot of crazy stuff, but I core value stuff. I, I try to do my best. Uh, I do try to be a good good husband and a and, and a good father. I uh, I work at it. I work at it. That's all you can do. And uh, yeah, man, the, the key is just to be able to, I think, uh, be able to admit you're wrong and uh, and just, you know, really think about the choices you're making and just try to do the choices you truly, truly, truly in your heart think are the best choices. Okay. 
ended on a, a funny football stat group, being uh, getting a name based on time. So this is a silly little one I just thought was funny. Jacob Shepard writes, my friends and I have started doing some hardcore research into football statistics, and in honor of your influence on me, we are calling ourselves the ball suckers. I like it. Hail Nimrod, you ball suckers. You suck those balls. Suck them. Suck them so hard. And thank you guys so much for today's updates. Thanks, time suckers. I needed that. We all did. The alphabet murders have been sucked. I hope those crimes get solved eventually. Uh, if you come across Joseph Nasso, uh, maybe if you if you kick him in the head, that'd be awesome. Uh, don't rape anybody. Uh, just don't do it. Just, just please, ever, just don't ever do it. And uh, and keep on sucking. Hey, uh, you want me? Uh, you want me to hold you down in a, in, a, in a ditch or something? Or I could just, you know, I could, I could get rough, do some crazy shit if you want. Oh, you don't like that? Okay, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just dance away. Gonna dance off back of the ribbon. I don't need to do that. I can find somebody else. Just dance up to life for rapid dancer. The legends are true. With overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes. The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. In a fast-paced world... Every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.